When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. Morena, New Zealand, good morning to you all. Lovely Wednesday morning here and uh, we've got a busy show uh, through to 11 o'clock. It's almost situation normal. Uh, we're going to talk to uh, Tom Latham uh, and uh, that's going to be very interesting. We'll talk about uh, the, the past test series against uh, Bangladesh's fantastic performance with the bat. He played T20 cricket yesterday for the first time in a while. Uh, so we'll catch up with Tom. Uh, Andrew Rutledge from the Christchurch City Council. Yep, uh, they are doing their best to rebuild in some fashion uh, the Great Lancaster Park which was in Jade Stadium, AMI Stadium. I think I've uh, covered them all there. I might not have. But anyway, it's going to see sporting action again, and that is such good news. Jared uh, Cronin from SEN, uh, our brother in Australia, he's an NFL expert as well. So uh, yesterday they had playoff games uh, over the weekend, and now we know who's uh, getting through to the business end of the competition. So we'll talk about that with Jared. Uh, Andrew Gordy and Jimmy Kays will be with us uh, on the panel at around about 20 past 10. Uh, and then we'll do Stump Smithy early this morning at 10.45, because at 11 o'clock, it's all go here, and for, for racing fans, it's going to be a sensational hour uh, because we're going to announce the live barrier draw, uh, and that's going to happen uh, around about uh, 11.03, uh, and uh, that's going to be done on an, an official basis, of course. There'll be no doubt about that. Uh, and then uh, Mick uh, Erin and Louis Herman Watt are going to come in and too, and we'll have a three-pronged attack at asking some questions and doing some analysis with people like Warden Burgess and Andrew Seabrook. Jamie Richards, uh, it's going to be very, very important hour for racing fans. So stay tuned for that. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, thank God for Andy Murray, I say. Sir Andrew Baron Murray OBE. Andy's got gongs to go with his game, but he's also got sass and attitude and presence. Sport needs that. In this era dominated by technology, finely tuned techniques, perfect physiques and prim and proper on the court, and viruses and protocols off it, there still has to be a show, a spectacle and a tantrum or two as well, and a temper. Watch the last 20 minutes of Andy's epic five-setter yesterday. It was gripping, hell of an atmosphere, heaps of tension, seemed there were many more fans than were allowed to be, and don't get me started on that. And if you think it might not matter to Andy as much as it used to, and go back and have a look at his reaction after the handshakes were made. Vintage. And it's only round one. I certainly didn't miss the joker for that 30 minutes. Or so, neither did the tournament. And I'll be looking 
uh, are loading up, should I say, I'll be loading up on the wings and the bears if somehow the draw conspires Murray against Kyrgios. And they'll be hot wings at that. Went for a drive yesterday too to get my booster. That reminds me, I've got to get my left front indicator fixed. I mean, how do you know if it's not working anyway? Many thanks to those three people who flicked me the bird. There you go, more attitude. But at least you told me something was wrong. Anyway, I digress. I drove past three games of cricket happening as part of the famous annual Riverbend Festival. That's the event that was mentioned in dispatches and COVID reports a few days back. Credit the organisers, the parents, the kids, etc. who have persevered. The kids absolutely love it. I went through the drive-through process. Hell, they were so efficient and pleasant. Got the jab and sat waiting for the 15 minutes, as you do, to make sure that everything is savvy. Got offered water and an ice block. It was hot yesterday. And then it struck me where I was sitting, in the car park of Splash Planet, one of Hawke's Bay's great summer draw cards. It's the only use it gets these days. This complex itself closed months ago by a knee-jerk, paranoid city council out of fear. A stark reminder of the so-called protected life we lead these days. Absolutely stupid. Well, for the first time in almost three years, Black Caps uh, batsman and current captain Tom Latham featured for Canterbury in the T20 Super Smash last night, and uh, he did it in style, 34 of 19 balls at Hagley Oval to help the Kings beat the Orkton Aces. And uh, Tom joins us now. There's a little bit of irony, Tom. You used the, uh, uh, I've got to say, you used the DRS system pretty well during your test innings in Christchurch, but... You would have liked to, to have it last night, I understand, with that delivery from Lockie Ferguson. Good morning to you. Morning, Smithy. Yeah, uh, obviously it would have been nice to, to have it, but um, I guess that's sport and, and that's cricket and, and sometimes it uh, doesn't go all your way. But it was obviously at the end, at the end of the day, it was nice to, nice to get the win and um, the way the guys play was outstanding. So, uh, yeah, on to the next one. You are the perfect uh, person to talk to about this subject because um, you're a true red and black, have been since day one, always will be. Uh, so what are your early memories? We asked a few people yesterday, your memories of, of Lancaster Park. Now, they're going, uh, my understanding is um, we're talking to a gentleman, Andrew Rutledge, very shortly, Tom, that uh, they're starting to, to do things back on the site of Lancaster Park, the old Lancaster Park. What are your, what are your first memories of, of Lancaster Park? Um, first memories probably would have been of uh, watching Dad there, to be honest. I was... I was very young um, when Dad was still playing, um, but I do remember heading down there with, with my brother um, and watching him vaguely. But um, probably the, big, the biggest memories would have been um, going down and watching watching the Crusaders there. Uh, always used to turn up to, to all the home games and, and watch them there. So uh, some pretty some pretty cool memories. Obviously watched some uh, some cool Black Caps games there as well when when Brendan McCollum got a uh, hundred games. Uh, Australia in the T20, so uh, yeah, it's obviously was an iconic ground, and yeah, I do, I do hear they uh, got some construction underway, which is which is pretty exciting. Yeah, it is indeed, uh, Tom. Throw uh, Cantab there. Can't uh, talk about sport without mentioning the Crusaders, so I, I figured that would be the case. Uh, right, <laughs> let's look at um, let's look at the Canterbury Kings, second now on the Super Smash table, six wins, two losses, getting it right at the right time. Yeah, we are. Um, obviously, it was nice to, to 
playing um, with with the Canterbury Boys. Obviously, as you said, it's been about three years since I played a T20 game for them. But um, I guess the way they've been performing over the season has been uh, has been really good. And uh, I guess another good performance last night. It wasn't the it wasn't the perfect performance, but um, you know we managed to to find a way, especially with the ball. I think the way the um, the way the bowlers were set the tone in that power play uh, was outstanding, and we sort of just kept on building through uh, building on that throughout the throughout the bowling inning. So um, it was obviously a, a good win, and uh, got two more games. Uh, obviously, top of the table clash um, next game. So uh, yeah, that'll be exciting as well. Tom, we always uh, talk in rugby terms about the production line that Canterbury Rugby seems to have, which flows on uh, to the Crusaders, of course, and then of course to the All Blacks, but. Uh, what about the cricket side of things? You pop in and out of the side uh, when uh, time permits and availability is there. Uh, we looked at a player like, uh, for instance, yesterday, Henry Shipley took three for 14 last night, was a standout performer. Is the, the state, the depth of, of Canterbury cricket there as it has been for most of the time I can remember? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think, um, you know, there were a couple of guys that, that I actually haven't played with um, in the side last night, which is exciting. It's nice to... To see guys get get opportunities, and, and as you said, uh, uh, you know when you get a chance to come back, uh, or when you, when you're away, it gives other guys opportunities to play. And um, yeah, I think that the depth is, is building nicely. Someone like Henry Shipley's been around the group for uh, for quite a long time now. To be fair, he's um, had an um, unfortunate run of, of injuries, but um, you know this year he's managed to stay on the park um, all summer and. And I guess we 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 know his talent, and uh, you know it's great to see that um, you know other people are starting to see it as well. He's a he's a genuine all-rounder that uh, can bowl pretty quick and, and pretty heavy, and, and he can whack the ball out of the park. So um, you know it's great to see guys getting their opportunities, and and I guess showing themselves that they can perform at that level as well. So um, you know, I guess the more opportunities they get at the le- that level, the I guess the the more learnings that will be taken, and, and hopefully they can take that forward in their games as well. Tom, how hard is it to transition from being uh, an opening batsman in test cricket on a, a ground one week, return to that ground the next week after a marathon innings and turn around and play T20 cricket? How hard is it to, to make the transition? Um, yeah, I, I guess that it, it, there's a few challenges there, but uh, I guess in international sport nowadays you need to uh, adapt pretty quickly, whether that's uh, international tour away or you might play a test and then a one-day or T20 uh, a few days later, so... I think it's more just a, a mindset shift, really, in terms of um, you know being a little bit more aggressive and um, trying to take a, a few different options. But um, for me, it's all all about sort of trusting um, you know my position at the crease. If I can get into strong positions, uh, back or front foot, then uh, you know, give yourself a chance to to strike the ball and, and hit gaps and and potentially hit the ball over the top. So um, yeah, from from that, it's just more a mindset mind shift change and to, to be a little bit more aggressive. Still got your eyes possibly on the T20 World Cup in Australia later this year? I know your attitude, you want to play as much as you can. Um, yeah, obviously, um, you know, that would be a, a great goal, but um, you know, I certainly know that I haven't played a, a lot of T20 cricket uh, as of late. Um, as you mentioned earlier, it's been three years um, since I've played for Canterbury, which is which is a bloody long time, but um, you know, I just enjoy playing that format. Um, enjoy sort of running around and I obviously didn't have the gloves last night, but uh, enjoy sort of uh, the change of uh, the change of pace of T20 cricket, and look, if that opportunity comes, then great. But um, you know, I'm not focused on that uh, entirely. If it um, happens, I'd obviously love to love to be there. But um, it's just about trying to take each game that comes and uh, and try to sort of perform for Canterbury and uh, and see what happens really. 
of course, uh, it's been about a week since uh, that uh, great victory in Christchurch uh, at Hagley Oval over, over Bangladesh. But uh, in a way, it had to be because uh, the performance uh, at the Mount was, was not uh, up to scratch by um, your standards, I'm sure. Uh, what did you do in between times? So was it a, a personal reflection? Did you have many team meetings, etc., to, to, to sort of say uh, what we've got to do to fix this? Um, yeah, we, we sort of um, had our usual um, couple of couple of trainings beforehand, and I guess the batters and bowlers, uh, you know, sat down as a group and, and just sort of talked through a few things that uh, that we needed to change uh, from a bowling point of view. We're sort of trying to. Um, bowling partnerships a little bit more and, and build pressure at both ends and, and keep handing the batting over, uh, which I thought, uh, you know, they did a fantastic job. And, and then from the batting point of view, it was just trying to, it was about trying to build partnerships and, and make sure they were significant partnerships. And, um, and I guess, you know, men and young men managed to do that um, day one and obviously give as well when, when he came out. So um, I guess making those little contributions, all those bigger contributions and, and making those partnerships, big partnerships, was, was a massive focus. And, and I thought the way we were able to shift um, from, as you said, the performance that we weren't quite, um, it wasn't quite to our standard, um, but to, to then turn it around and, and beat Bangladesh in three days um, was, yeah, was, a, was a good turnaround. I saw the pitch, um, or a, a photo of the pitch before uh, the game. Um, obviously, uh, there was a serious uh, green nature to it. Um, a toss that you lose. What, first of all, your your thoughts on losing the toss, and then uh, also, could you possibly imagine the scoreline on the evidence of that pitch at the end of the first day? Yeah, it was certainly a toss that we would have uh, that we would have bowled first as well. Um, so to, I guess, to lose another one was <laughs> wasn't ideal. But um, yeah, I, I think the, you look at the end of day one to, to be in that position was yeah, it was outstanding, and I thought yeah, and sort of the way we were able to. Uh, to put their bowlers under a little bit of pressure, a little bit of pressure, and you know, we certainly knew that they were becoming um, they're full of confidence, and and I guess to I guess the rate we scored at as well was uh, probably the most important thing in terms of uh, putting them under pressure. When when they missed, we we certainly we scored, and um, you know the, the football was able to keep ticking over. So uh, we managed to well we, we sort of, when they bowled full, we hurt them, and and then when they bowled short, they uh, we hurt them as well, and. I guess the length they, they bowled was for that back of the length and, and when on wickets when when you bowl that back of the length it makes it a little bit easier to leave the ball. So um, yeah, I thought the the pressure that we put on them to um to adjust to bowling that back of the length was was outstanding and um, and I guess that sort of showed in the yeah, the rate that we scored at and, and in the position we were in to declare uh, not long after lunch. You're up to the fringe of uh, the top ten yourself in terms of the test match batting rankings. Uh, what do you reckon the, the key's been yet, uh, your consistency there? Because you have to front up uh, to get to that level. There's so many fine players around the world. Is it is it as, as simple as, as just good old-fashioned hard network, etc.? Yeah, I think so. I think there's always a, um, there's always a time where you're, you're always looking to tinker with things or you're, you're looking to... Um, I'm a bit of perfect, a bit perfectionist when it comes to training and trying to... Um, you know, make sure that I'm, um, you know, my technique um, on point. But uh, yeah, I guess it's more the, the, the technical and the sort of mindset as well in terms of I, I certainly have the understanding as an opener that, that some days it's not going to happen or there'll be a period of times where it doesn't happen. And um, it's just about sort of trusting your game as, as much as possible. And if you do have a, a, a lean run of form and, um, you know, knowing that 
but it's not too far away the next performance and um, you know you're sort of understanding your role as well uh, you know your role might be slightly different here in New Zealand where the wickets are sort of more favourable to, to the bowlers but um, yeah I think the trust elements the, the really important thing for me is, is trusting trusting my game trusting my technique and and just sort of letting things unfold from there. Now the series that's uh, up, upcoming uh, the next test series of course is against South Africa and uh, they did pretty well. They came back to beat uh, India. I imagine you take uh, we're taking a good uh, a good look at some of them, particularly their bowling attack as such, which is based around it's based around pace uh, as we are. So would it suit us? Would it suit us to make those green pitches against them? Would it would it would it suit us to perhaps be a little bit more all round thinking against uh, South Africa, who really haven't got too much of a noted spin attack? Yeah, I think, yeah. From a from a bowling point of view, the, uh, both sides have a, have a great pace attack. Um, you know, certainly watched that series with a lot of interest. Uh, you know, they played really well against the against the quality Indian side. So, uh, you know, we certainly know we're going to have to perform really well uh, against them. They'll be sort of full of confidence coming over here, and um, you know, I, I guess these conditions we've uh, you know we've had sporting wickets um, for bowlers for, for a long time now, and we've we sort of found a way to, to play on these surfaces and um, and yeah, I guess it's sort of been the blueprint for us. But um, yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see what uh, what sort of surfaces that we get um, when we when we turn up to Hagley and and the basin. Um, you know, traditionally two grounds that are probably the the quickest uh, in the country. So uh, I guess that um, you know looks uh, exciting from a from a bat and ball competition. So uh, I know the guys will be looking forward to getting stuck into that. One thing we know for sure, Tom, is that it will be a dressing room without Ross Taylor after uh, that great career. That'll that'll be slightly different. Yeah, it will be. Um, I think he's probably someone that I've played uh, the most amount of cricket with for New Zealand. So uh, not to have him at first slip or uh, not to have him in the dressing room will be will be slightly different. Uh, I'm sure it'll take a little bit of adjusting um, for the first few games. But um, you know, someone that had such an amazing career over. 17 years, I think it was, to, for him to perform uh, in conditions all around the world uh, against all opposition. And it was a, you know, it's an outstanding career, and uh, I guess it now presents opportunity for, for other guys to, to fill his shoes. So, um, you know, that's an exciting opportunity for, for someone else as well. Good captains uh, uh, are noted for having hunches and cashing in on hunches. Why'd you bowl him? Why the hell did you give him a bowl to finish his career? <laughs> Uh, that was probably the most pressure I felt in my international career. Actually, it was when the whole crowd were chanting "Bowl Ross, Bowl Ross," and then our boys started joining in on that chant as well. So uh, the umpires actually played their part quite nicely. It was you know, they said it was too dark to to bowl scene, so uh, you know there was only uh, one one option really was to, to bowl Ross, and actually landed all three of them bloody perfectly. So uh, it was. Uh, I guess a, a way that he probably didn't think his test career would finish, but um, I guess a, a pretty cool moment to, to be involved in from to, to get the last wicket was that was pretty cool. So I mentioned before a dressing room without Ross Taylor. Yeah, it will be uh, it will be different. Uh, a possible lineup without Ross Taylor and Kane Williamson was uh, would be almost unthinkable. But uh, where do we? Uh, I, I would imagine you've had a little bit of contact with with Kane. He's stayed away because uh, you've been the skipper as such, but. Um, where's he at? Do, have we got any uh, any sort of uh, overview of, of of his injury situation and his possible availability? Do, do you know? Um, I not I haven't spoken to him since um, since the last or since the test finished. But 
uh, you know, by the sound of things, he was tracking uh, reasonably nicely um, but when we saw him. So, uh, you know, fingers crossed. Uh, there's a little bit more time um, before the test match. So, uh, you know, fingers crossed that uh, his rehab can, can go well and, and hopefully he can be back on the park. Obviously, he's a massive, uh, you know, member of our group. Obviously, the skipper as well. So, uh, you know, fingers crossed we can have him back to the series. Conway has been brilliant, Kevin Conway, no doubt about it. I mean, his record initially uh, in his career is is everything that we uh, thought it might be on the evidence of, of his uh, play before he came into the Black Caps. But the, the, the player I'd like you to, to tell us just a wee bit more about because uh, I think he's going to be quite instrumental going ahead is Will Young. We don't know too much about him. We know he's been a fringe player. Uh, what have you noticed about Will? Um, yeah, look, Will Young has uh, you know, had, a, had a great start since he's um, come in, I think. Over the last couple of years, he's sort of been the, uh, the been the backup batter, but um, I guess the the opportunity that he's taken uh, at the top of the order, uh, you know, over in India and, and also here in uh, the first two tests uh, against Bangladesh has been great, and and someone that sort of grew up in, in the middle order, but for him to uh, make the shift up to to the top of the order, and I think the the way he's gone about things has been, uh, you know, really good. I think his temperament's outstanding. He's, he plays all around the wicket and, and plays off back and front foot. So, uh, you know, he, he started really nicely, and uh, you know, he's building a nice sort of found, well, building a nice foundation at the top of the order as well. So, uh, you know, he's, he's another exciting player to watch, and another guy that, uh, you know, sort of had limited opportunities over the last couple of years. But uh, you know, when he's played, he, he's certainly taken those opportunities. So, uh, you know, certainly very exciting for Youngie as well. Well, that's good. Good news, uh, Tom. Uh, congratulations on your individual performance, wonderful innings, uh, and the fact that you've uh, kept and decided to come back in style. So uh, thanks for your time this morning. I uh, hope you continue to enjoy those T20 hitouts and uh, look forward to uh, the success of the Canterbury Kings ongoing. Thank you, mate. Thanks a lot, Smithy. Yeah, cheers. Tom Latham there, of course, uh, added responsibility of captaining uh, his country as well as uh, the joy of getting back into T20 cricket, loves his cricket and very disciplined about everything he does in the game and what a fine record he is fashioning as an opening batsman. Uh, so I, I think we stay on that on that uh, cricketing subject actually. Um, for our, where, where do you, where, after that series against Bangladesh, where, where do you at home rate New Zealand? Uh, uh, were we still up the top? Are Australia past us in your view? South Africa or India? Where do, we, where do you actually sit in your thinking? having given up that one test match to uh, Bangladesh, which will incidentally hurt us quite a lot in that World Test Championship overall. We've got a lot of ground to make up now. We're going to start winning overseas. So where do we sit in uh, your thoughts and uh, going ahead without Ross Taylor? Where do we sit on that? Double eight double three is our text number. 0800 150 811 is our phone number. Yeah, I got a text in from Cam to say uh, nice to have us uh, back on air. Um, Really not ideal losing to Bangladesh, but the test matches against South Africa are really the ones that will show where we stand. And I, I think you're right, uh, so right there, Cam. I mean, that performance uh, at the Mount was just so poor, but it, it was very harmful in the respect that, you know, it was, our, I think, our worst ever test loss at home. And that's including uh, the one where we got rolled for 26, which is that horrible thing we're trying to get off our back and probably never will. But uh, that was a very strong England side. Uh, we shouldn't be losing... Uh, to Bangladesh, not if you uh, hold the mace. Uh, that's my way of thinking. So they, they righted the wrong there, but uh, that was not a good performance. Who do I think will replace Ross Taylor? Well, at the moment, if Kane Williamson comes back in, it's uh, it's a lay-down Mazir for uh, Will Young. 
Will Young just slots in wherever they want him to do well. Whether he opens with Tom Latham, that's worked quite well. You've got Williamson at three uh, if he's fit. And then you've got Conway at four. Nichols at five is an issue for me. Henry Nichols at five. Uh, he's got a front. He has to front. He has in the past scored some very tough runs and fashioned quite a nice start to his career. But of late, it hasn't been good enough. So question, New Zealand cricket selectors, by and large, very patient people. Very patient. That is 9.33 here on SENZ. And uh, I said yesterday about uh, this, this subject that we're about to deal with. There's nothing worse than flying into Christchurch uh, over the top of what was uh, Lancaster Park, Jade Stadium, AMI, whatever you like to call it, and see the shell that was sitting there for so long. And it really was quite a depressing sight. And if you ever were down there or you got a chance to drive past it, it was just it was awful because it was just a ghost, really, of, of what it had been in the past. But after lying dormant for more than a decade, uh, the spiritual home of uh, Sport Lancaster Park is set to reopen in April, but not as we once knew it. Instead of hosting those huge sporting fixtures with tens of thousands in attendance, it will be a community sports facility. And uh, one of the gentlemen who's been working hard on the project is uh, Christchurch City Council's Head of, uh, Head of Parks, Andrew Rutledge. Uh, he joins us now, Andrew. Uh, good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. I think this is a great story, uh, the rejuvenation of one of the uh, one of the great facilities in Christchurch. Oh, good morning, Smithy. Yeah, it is. Um, it's been a long time, hasn't it? And um, um, yeah, we're really really pleased that we've gotten to this point now. We're um, a we're going to get the park open, and we're going to get people back in there using sport relatively soon. Um, but also we've got some exciting ideas about how we can capture the past and bring that back to life uh, in the park as well. So, um, what's yeah. It, uh, if, uh, I, if, I, if I drive past, Andrew, what's it going to look like? Look, it's going to look like a um, a massive park, probably what it used to look like uh, around the turn of the 19th century without, without the old grandstand, the very first grandstand. Um, but eventually, over the next couple of years, you know, we're working closely with community clubs like Lancaster Park Cricket Club are, are very, very excited about being able to go back to their ancestral home, so to speak. Um, and there'll be some community facilities developed there, like small pavilions and so forth. Um, some of the other community stuff around playgrounds and all the things that um, the residents of Phillipstown and Charleston, the local areas, you know, really don't have a lot of in that community, so that's going to be fantastic. Mm. Um, but we're also, um, you're going to see the the uh, historic War Memorial Gates fully restored. And you're going to see, when you get into the park, you're going to see the, some of the history being brought to life, both physically, with some interpretive signage dotted around the park, um, but also we're exploring both audio and visual um, opportunities to be in the park, QR code, listen to, you know, on your own device, listen to some old commentary or history or um, some of the some of the lesser known things. And I don't know if you're familiar with um, uh, Don Neely and Joseph Romanus's historical book of Lancaster Park, but there's some fascinating stories about Lancaster Park and all the different sports and activities that have been there over the over the 150 odd years. So, so I mean, we're going to bring that to life. Gonna, yeah, it, it, it sounds uh, too. It's like uh, I like the the fact that it's going to be a, a history lesson because we're, we're we're talking about almost a generation that have missed Lancaster Park. I mean, we're ten or eleven years 
is quite a, an influential part of a young person's life growing up. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a history lesson as much as, 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 as an activity area. Yeah, oh, you're dead right. And not just for the sort of, the, you know, the lost decade, if you like. Um, but, uh, you know, even people that are slightly older than that, probably in their 20s and 30s, you know, don't know that one of the most predominant sports played early in the history of Lancaster Park well, um held there was cycling, horse racing, there was tennis, there was a swimming chance, you know, just about everything. You know, we talk now, we talk about multi-use arenas, but Lancaster Park has been multi-use from day one in its own way. And and that's what we want to make sure isn't lost. Um, and, um, you know, we just started talking about whether or not we can create some virtual reality opportunities too and bring some of that old footage back to life. So we, we, we whilst we're doing the physical work, we're also exploring how we're going to bring this place, you know, that wonderful rich history and of course you know you, you played there many times I'm sure um, yeah. uh, did you score any runs there Smithy um, and um, uh. <laughs> how's your memory um, <laughs> yeah. I mean you know you talk about young people's lives I mean I can talk about myself I mean I grew up nearby I lived at Lancaster Park in summer sold playground, uh, programs did the school board, you know, all the things, you know. Everyone in that community, we were all there all the time, and you did right. We've got to make sure that's not lost. Well, well I can tell you, uh, Andrew, I got my only test pair at uh, Lancaster Park, so um, I've got oh. very fond memories there. I thought I also broke a finger in that game, so that was wonderful. But I did I did see some wonderful... I, may uh, well have uh, I recall... <laughs> I, I might I, have prepared I recall the pitch, actually. I was a groundsman there with Russ Wiley before going to Eden Park. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, for, thanks very much. Knowing that Jeff Thompson was in town, that you put some grass on it, just what we needed, yeah. Uh, here's the, th here's the thing. Um, what you want, though, here, here um, Andrew, uh, is you want total buy-in from the residents uh, and you want input from the residents because the plans at this stage, obviously, are not set in con concrete and you're still quite flexible about uh, how you're going to fully utilise it. Yeah, look, the staggering thing when you go there, if you were standing in the middle now, is just, it's a vast area. And, um, I mean, I first really, my memories were pre-Jade Stadium and, um, and AMI. Um, and even then it felt massive. But when you see it open, you know, it's huge. So whilst we've got core sports that are going to be played through the centre of the space, you know, there is a lot of, there is a lot of room um, for the local community input, um, you know, and make sure we meet their needs as well. Yeah. So, yep, we've got four or five sessions um, with yeah. the local communities. You know, we, we're still in touch with the old Victory Park Board uh, members and so forth as well. We want to make sure that um, all of those people that have been connected with the place in the past um, have an opportunity to help mould the future. So, uh, Andrew, at this point, what level of sport would we'll, we'll be looking at? You mentioned Lancaster Park Cricket Club. Will, will we be looking at, um, at club rugby as well or, or schoolboy stuff? Yeah, it'll be, there'll be girls? winter codes there. That, you know, there could be football and rugby there. Um, there's going to be, um, you know, there's a decent-sized cricket oval, of course. Um, and um, that'll be, most of the sport will be at that senior club level. Um, that's not to say it's not capable of hosting um, kind of regional tournament stuff and so forth, but um, mm -hmm. that will be in the future when we've got more facilities like change facilities and so forth in, in place. 
So at yeah. this point, uh, Andrew Rutledge, when will we see uh, it in use? When we, will we see sporting teams on there? We are very, um, we're very confident that we're going to get winter sport in there this year. Um, uh, and there'll be cricket played there from uh, the commencement, of, you know, the spring commencement of the 22-23 season. Um, to what level will really be dictated by how many um, facilities we can have up and running at the same time. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's uh, one of the best stories I've heard in a long time, and uh, I'm not a proud Cantabrian, but I, I must admit, memories of Lancaster Park um, and Jade Stadium and AMI Stadium, uh, you just don't forget once you've been there and seen sport, uh, whether mm. you're playing or commentating on it. So I, I, for one, congratulate you on this um, on this initiative and, and bringing it to fruition, and I'm sure the people of Christchurch are going to get a lot of benefit and a hell of a lot of fun out of it. Uh, I think that's the main thing. Yeah, thanks, Matthew, um, and thanks for the opportunity to talk about it. It is really exciting, and I um, can't wait to see it in action. And me too. Uh, absolutely uh, look forward to it. Uh, Andrew Rutledge, thanks very much for your time. Uh, Andrew, of course, is the head of parks for the Christchurch City Council, so a busy man, but uh, that is one great initiative, and I think it's going to look absolutely fantastic. On 942 on SENZ, I've got a bit of a repeat coming in my headphones. John, if you could fix that at some point, that would be nice. But uh, we have got text coming in on the subject, uh, where do you think we're at, the Black Caps? Uh, what do we need to do uh, a little bit better? Um, and who do you see coming in for Ross Taylor on a permanent basis? How important is the South African series coming up? Uh, also, we have uh, Louis Herman Watt after 11 o'clock with Mick Guerin, an exciting initiative, the barrier draws for the million-dollar races at Ellerslie this weekend. 9.48 here on SENZ, and uh, still hearing myself back in my ear, but we'll uh, continue on here. Uh, good morning, Smithy, says Jared. Great interview and great news for the future of Lancaster Park, back to its roots. After all, after all the turmoil of the earthquake, it's a win for the community. Totally agree there. Chris has come in and said Conway bats at four as a replacement for Taylor. We need more consistency out of Blundell uh, with the bat. Invest in Ravindra as a batting all-rounder at six to give us a spin bowling option. Still not convinced, actually, that uh, Ravindra is a test-class spinner, but we'll have to wait and see with that. I still uh, think there's got to be scope for fitting in a bloke who can take uh, 10 wickets out of 10 uh, against uh, India and uh, their home soil, and still uh, I think there's got to be space for him somewhere along the line. So... Uh, Ajas Patel has got to come into the mix and that's what I was trying to hint at with Tom Latham really when I, I suggested maybe we need to make better all-round pitches against a side that traditionally doesn't have great spinners himself or play spin that well and, and that is South Africa so uh, I don't know uh, quite uh, what they'll come up with and I, I also believe that uh, Gary Stead uh, and Kane Williamson or Tom Latham should have input with the groundsman about that uh, Zaid says, uh, for me, Devin Conway should be a replacement to Ross Taylor. We need to get at least one win against South Africa, if not two. Certainly agree with that. Uh, I would be thinking we'd be slight favourites against South Africa, although one or two of their players look pretty impressive um, in terms of that series against India, and they are not uh, an easy side to beat. Uh, interesting news coming in, John, uh, overnight uh, with that win of Kyrgios. 
And uh, right, uh, what a character he is and uh, what a style of tennis he brings to uh, any ar arena that he's in. He's not the most popular man around the world, but certainly they love him in Australia. And there was some thought that he was getting booed last night, but that wasn't the case, was it? There seemed to be a fair bit of booing going on out there, and it was actually happening during Andy Murray's match. No, I wasn't getting booed. That's not getting booed. Um, no, I didn't think they were actually booing you, but I just... No, they actually weren't saying boo, though. Yeah, that's what I was just going to ask. Do you know what... Yeah, it's just a stupid... Like, I can't believe they did it so much. Like, it was just... They were doing some Ronaldo thing. Like, Ronaldo does it every time he scores. Yeah. And it's just like... It's like I, I thought they were going to just do it for, like, ten minutes. They did it for two and a half hours. Yeah. Like, every point. I don't know why, but... I don't know. There's a zoo out there. Yeah, brave uh, people to, to boo... Uh, wouldn't it? Nick Kyrgios in his own stadium, but uh, now we know that that was not the case. Multi-time uh, coming up here on SENZ. It's 9.52. Let's uh, see if we can have a bit more luck today. Smithy's Multi. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. 9.58 here on SENZ. And we had no luck yesterday because uh, even though the Rams uh, beat the Arizona Cardinals, the Milwaukee Bucks blew a, a last quarter lead uh, to lose uh, to the Atlanta Hawks. So that one went out the window. So we're 0 for 2 going into today. So tonight, uh, a big bash cricket. Sydney Sixers to beat the Brisbane Heat at $1.52. And uh, the uh, Women's Australian Open as a renker to beat Teichman at $1.29. And two matches in the men's Australian side of the draw. Uh, Karina Buster to beat uh, Glickspoor at $1.34. And Korda, part of that uh, famous uh, family of sport, of course, Korda to beat uh, Mute at $1.34. That'll round out at $3.52. Uh, a couple of texts that have uh, just come in. Hi, Smithy and team. Just a reminder that Leila Fernandez, we talked about, uh, being knocked out in round one of the singles. She's actually playing doubles with New Zealand's Erin Routliffe at the Australian Open this time around, and we've had Erin Routliffe on the show on uh, more than one occasion. What a delightful young lady and successful she is as well. Thanks for that, Maggie. And could you see Cam Fletcher coming in for a blundle at all? He's been in form and has proven himself at A-level. I think uh, that's a possibility, to be fair, but I think Cleaver, Dylan Cleaver from uh, the Central Stags, might have gazumped him lately uh, with his form. I think it's a very even race between those two, but the good news is uh, there is pressure on Tom Blundell. Uh, he got 50 not out in the, his last innings, which was important, but New Zealand had a heap of runs on the board at that time, and so it was they were easy runs, safe runs. Uh, he needs to front up uh, a little bit more often when New Zealand are under pressure uh, to be anything like BJ Watling was, and that's who Shields is trying to fill. All right, welcome back to SENZ. Mornings with Ian Smith. It is three past ten, and Smithy's just having a few technical issues. We've got a brand new studio here and a brand new desk, and Smithy's just hearing himself in his headphones uh, all the time, and he can't hear any guests that we're having. 
on uh, from now on in. So we've got our techs working on his system. Smithy can't be on here right now, which is a shame because we're talking American football. Now the NFL playoffs are underway. Uh, the opening round uh, happened over the weekend, finished up yesterday actually with the Rams really taking the Cardinals to town. Uh, plenty to talk about heading into the divisional round of fixtures and a man who's going to have to hold my hand here is Jared Cronin from ECN across the Tasman. He knows all, everything you need to know about American football. G'day Jared. Good morning, mate. How are you doing? I'm doing not too bad. I am in the deep end here, though, mate, uh, because I'm not an American football guy. So over the first uh, weekend of the playoffs, were there any upsets? What took uh, what took your, um, your, your fancy over the weekend? Well, look, technically there was an upset in the uh, 49ers-Cowboys game, uh, albeit that if you'd watched the game, <clears throat> excuse me, if you'd watched the game itself, um, you'd actually have seen that the 49ers really had this game sewn up and the Cowboys were not even really close in it. In fact, there weren't really many close games at all. You could probably argue the Raiders-Bengals game was reasonably close than that 49ers-Cowboys game. But um, that was just sort of a, a seedings upset, I guess. The number six 49ers upsetting the number three Cowboys. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in, in terms of real turn-ups, it, it wasn't really a heck of a lot going on. All the other games went to plan and yeah, as I say, lots of them weren't close. What about the end of that Cowboys 49ers game? Uh, very controversial. And to a guy who doesn't watch American football, I was like, what is the referee doing coming in here during a play with a couple of seconds on the clock and touching the ball? Uh, so for was, an uninitiated guy, it looked like the referee was interfering, but that's not the case. Absolutely. It, was a, uh, it wasn't really good on the optics because you, you see the shot of the referee getting in the way of the attempted last panicked play by the Cowboys. And it doesn't really look great. You're thinking, you know, what is going on here? But apparently the rule is that the official has, has to actually touch the football before the next play gets underway. So um, so he was doing basically doing his job. Uh, the <laughs> only problem was that the Cowboys had uh, really they'd made a huge error on the play before by trying to run the ball up the middle of the field, which meant that the clock kept running. And uh, it left them down to mm. literally the final second to actually try and stop the clock. So when they didn't get that, second or split second because of the referee's uh, intrusion um it, it did it left them high and dry and people were getting a little bit annoyed at the um the referee but to be fair it was probably more a a botched call or, or at least a botched execution on that the previous player by quarterback Dak Prescott yeah so what's the future for the Cowboys what they called America's team but they haven't really done anything for a couple of decades so uh, is the coach going to get fired is Dak Prescott um is he secure there at the Cowboys what's going to happen with them yeah, indeed. How about them Cowboys? It's um, it's going to be an interesting time with, uh, they've got a, a couple of their assistant coaches, their offensive coordinator, Kellen Moore, is very highly touted and has been for the last couple of years. And this Cowboys offense is actually just quietly, statistically led all of the categories um, hitting through the regular season. They've got the most yards and most points and so on. So that gets you right in the shop front of teams that are looking for head coaches and, uh, and Kellen Moore's a young up-and-coming coordinator and could well get a head coaching job. On the defensive side of the ball, it's been even more of a revelation because uh, Dan Quinn, the defensive coordinator, has taken this team from basically being horrendous on defense and in the space of a season has turned them around into one of the top units in the NFL. They had the, uh, the highest turnover differential amongst all the teams. So uh, so that also is getting him noticed. He's had head coaching experience before as well with the Atlanta Falcons. 
who he uh, unfortunately took to the uh, the Super Bowl a few years back and um, and blew a twenty eight three lead. But but he is still looking um, <clears throat> excuse me pretty good to um, you know to get another job somewhere with one of these struggling teams. Um, Mike McCarthy, the head coach of the Cowboys, probably safe at this stage. I would imagine right. with a bit of churn going on amongst the coaching staff, they may want to just hold on to someone and keep a bit of stability. But old Jerry Jones, the owner of the Cowboys, he is not one to, uh, you know, not one to mess around. If he wants to get the job done, he wants to get the job done. So mm. um, it'd be interesting to see <clears throat> just how they are able to manage that in the next little while. What about one of the greatest coaches of all time, maybe the greatest, Bill Belichick, didn't have any answers to the Bills and quite an amazing quarterback performance in that game as the Bills thrashed the Patriots 47-17 on Sunday. That was quite extraordinary. Oh, it really was. Uh, in fact, there was a good rundown of the first seven Buffalo Bills possessions, and each of those possessions ended in a touchdown, which is just insane. Mm. Um, they they went against a what was a, a pretty highly touted uh, Patriots defense. Bill Belichick, he you know he doesn't really lead a team or, or a defensive unit, especially that um, that you know mucks around, but. They uh, they got absolutely handed um, by the Bills. They 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 ran into I guess a, a bit of a buzzsaw. Uh, and Josh Allen just making plays left, right, and center. He was spot on. Um, and also what they managed to get going was a bit more of a running game as well, which has been it has not been a traditional strength of these Bills teams over the last few seasons. So that's a bit of a scary thought. If they can start running the ball more effectively, they start to become a far more dangerous outfit to defend against. Um, so, yeah, so that's going to be a uh, – they've got a, a huge clash. Uh, I guess we'll get into that um, shortly um, coming up this week. Yeah, absolutely. He's not one of those quarterbacks you hear a lot about. Obviously, Brady and Rogers you always hear about, but Josh Adams isn't a guy I've heard about. Is he making a name for himself? Is he kind of in this next breed of quarterbacks who are going to carry this league for the next 10, 15 years? Oh, very much so. He is a superstar, Josh Allen. Um, he has um, – He's endeared himself, first of all, to the Buffalo fans, who are a uh, particular breed of fans, might I add. Uh, but he has very much solidified his spot uh, amongst the uh, the Bills faithful, the Bills mafia, they call them. Um, and he, yeah, he is ascending. He's into about his fourth year, I think, this year. Uh, and each year he's, he's come into the league, uh, and well, since he's come into the league, he has just really improved his game. And, and just started to take it to another level. Still trying to find, I guess, the consistency of a um, you know a guy like a Patrick Mahomes or a uh, Aaron Rodgers. Once he can kind of tap into that sort of consistency, then you've got a, a very very scary prospect. But as it stands, this is a guy. He's got a, an absolute cannon of a, an arm. Mm. He throws that ball, and you see it. It hits receivers' pads, and you know makes a dent in there. <laughs> Um, and he's also, you know, fantastic running the ball as well. So in terms of defenses trying to stop this guy, he is uh, he, he's a superstar. And the Rams ran away with it against the Cardinals. It was a no contest pretty early in that one. Were you surprised with how good the LA Rams were yesterday, 34-11 over the Cardinals? Look, it's a funny one in that game because it's hard to tell if the Rams were really that good. I know they took care of business. That's great. But uh, it almost looked as though the Cardinals, they looked like they didn't deserve to be in the playoffs because they had come in on a bit of a slide towards the end of the the regular season and they just didn't turn up. They looked horrendous. Everything they were trying to do, just they were made to look like absolute chumps. Um, so I guess it's, yeah, it's, it's tricky to get a gauge on the Rams if they were really that good or the Cardinals were just that bad. But I guess this coming week in the divisionals, you'll start to get a real idea as to where these Rams are at. One thing that they did, 
managed to get going, similar to the Buffalo Bills, was that they got a running game going. So they they managed to bring back uh, Cam Akers, second year running back. He's made a miraculous recovery. Actually, um, he tore his Achilles back in July, and he's been back playing now for the last uh, week and a half. So. Wow. He came in, made a huge uh, impact. Uh, unfortunately, in the game, he actually made a, a literal impact on one of the Cardinals defenders and um, sent him to the uh, the injury cart. He's apparently apparently passed all the tests and doing fine, but but it just looked pretty bad at the time. But the Rams are getting him going, and also they got Sony Michelle at running back, so they're using a bit of a two headed monster in that running game. And they just yeah they they had their way with that Cardinals defense. Matthew Stafford took care of the ball. Also, one thing to note with the Rams is that they are getting some really good production. Uh, especially come playoff time, out of their two high, you know, high, um, high-profile recruits, uh, that being Von Miller on defense. Basically, on the first drive of the game, he, I saw him get up and make a, a beautiful play um, against the Cardinals. And likewise, um, Odell Beckham Jr., the you know the much sort of maligned. Yeah, much maligned. I think uh, Jared was saying if he's still there or if he's dropped off the line and going to leave me high and dry about a sport I don't really know and I'm learning a lot about at the moment from Jared. Uh, of course, the Rams taking on the Buccaneers in the divisional round of fixtures, which start on Sunday. That's essentially the quarterfinals of the NFL. You start with the Titans and the Bengals at 1030 on Sunday, which is a great time uh, for New Zealand. And I've never noticed more New Zealanders talking about the NFL than I have at the moment. Um, everyone's really interested uh, in what's going on because it's on at such a great time. So 10.30am Sunday, Titans against the Bengals. 2.15 on Sunday afternoon, the Packers against the 49ers, which is going to be epic. Uh, Monday 9am, the Buccaneers against the Rams. And then Monday 12.30 New Zealand time, the Chiefs against the Bills. And Jared, which one is the pick of the games, of those four games? Which one are you most excited about? Is it Packers 49ers? And uh, we're still struggling to get Jared back on the line. But I'd imagine uh, it's either Packers 49ers or the Buccaneers against the Rams, who the Rams we were just talking about. But the Buccaneers, of course, having Tom Brady uh, running the show. It's just quite incredible that he's dominating uh, in a sport that's the biggest sport in America. Uh, and he's just in his 40s, which I'm going to be in this year. So it gives all of us middle-aged men some hope that the Buccaneers uh, quarterback is still doing it and still going to do it. Uh, as he continues on in his amazing career, the Buccaneers beating the Eagles 31-15 on Monday New Zealand time, which is quite remarkable that they've been able to continue on that the way that they have. Um, I'm hoping to get Jared back on the line. Smithy's uh, battling with technology. I'm battling with technology as we go as well, but hopefully Jared is there on the line as I'm talking to Ben, my panellist. And Jared, you're back. We got you. Yes, I can hear you now. <laughs> there we go. Oh, it's a, a, a nice classic old phone line that we've got now. I was just talking about the divisional round fixtures coming up this weekend. Which one of them uh, is the most exciting? I kind of chuck Packers 49ers out there, but you might have a different response. Yeah, that will be a uh, an interesting game from the standpoint that uh, the Packers are the top seed. And they're at home at Lambeau Field. It's going to be freezing cold. Uh, Aaron Rodgers and his team uh, have been looking good all season. A bit of a a fly in the ointment in that scenario is that the last three playoff games that the Packers have played against the 49ers have lost them all. So uh, I don't know if it's a style thing or not uh, with uh, how the 49ers are going to play it. They're going to obviously look to try and just, um, you know, run the ball on the ground and really pound things as hard as they possibly can. Uh, Mentally, probably a a bigger issue for the Packers than anything. If they can get over that hump, then, you know, they could maybe realise their full potential. Uh, The game I'm actually... 
I'm personally looking forward to. Obviously, the Chiefs Bills is a huge one, um, but I personally I want to see what happens in this Titans Bengals game because uh, the Titans are the top seeded team in the AFC, albeit that that was a very close run sort of race this year. Uh, number of teams in the mix to try and you know get to the top. Titans ended up there um, just by chance at the end. But this Bengals team, they have really got something about them. They've got uh, a lot of young talent. They've brought about a, a, an infusion of excitement, especially in Cincinnati. The, uh, the long-suffering Bengals fans, uh, they've finally got something to cheer about. They had their first playoff win in 30 years last week. So um, they're, they're starting to get a little bit of momentum. And I'd, I'd like to see what Joe Burrow and these guys can do going into Nashville against the Titans to just maybe see if they can catch the you know the Tennessee Titans cold and, and, uh, and cause the upset there. All right, Jared Cronin, I'm going to get you to look into your crystal ball and we're going to guess or educational guesses from you. I would just be a flat-out guess from me. Who wins these matches? So Titans-Bengals, who you got? Titans-Bengals, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to go with it. I'm going to go for the Bengals to cause an upset. Okay. All right, nice. Um, Packers-49ers, the next game. Who have you got in that one? Packers-49ers, I think the Pack can finally get over that 49er hump. I'll go with Green Bay. Nice. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers, he's having a hell of a season. Who's the who's the most informed quarterback at the moment? Is it him? Uh, well, look, that's, a, that's another hotly debated topic because uh, I, I'd actually thought it was Aaron Rodgers going to be the runaway MVP pick uh, for the season, but there's another guy called Thomas Brady who's just come <laughs> along and uh, he's, he's doing pretty well. He's doing very well, in fact. Yeah, he's not uh, bad. Statistically, statistically, looking at what he's been doing, he was actually uh, ahead of... Um, of Rogers in terms of yardage and whatnot, but right. um, yeah, I'd be interested to see what they pick because the MVP is not chosen until February 12th, which I think is a couple of days before the Super Bowl. Um, so that's going to be uh, it, it could even come down to a um, an NFC Championship game. If the Packers go up against the Bucks. They, there could be the swing vote there to see if it's either Tom or Aaron. So you're picking that to happen. You're picking the Buccaneers to beat the Rams. I'll, yeah, I will pick the Bucks. I think they should be uh, too good at home. Uh, their defense started to look really good last weekend. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure I trust Matt Stafford yet in the playoffs with the Rams, but um, but yeah, I'll pick the Bucks. All right, and just finally, Jared Chiefs against the Bills. Oof. I'm billing this one as the uh, the Ali v Frazier and the AFC side of things. Nice. They've had a few good clashes in recent times. A couple of the heavyweights. Uh, I'm going to go to the Chiefs at home in this one. That's, uh, that could be a close one, but um, I'll stick with Pat Mahomes, the, uh, what I call the artiste at quarterback. Nice. All right, Jared Cronin. Great little multi there. Bengals, Packers, Buccaneers and Chiefs to win this upcoming weekend in the NFL. Thanks so much for your time, mate, and enjoy. Get those snacks ready. Oh, mate, looking forward to it. Thanks very much. No worries. Jared Cronin there, he knows everything about NFL, which was handy for me, a guy who knows nothing about NFL, so he was uh, able to tell me what's going on there. And American footballers, 18 minutes past 10. Smithy's battling with his technology, that's why I'm in here at the moment. John Day is producer, running things, and coming up next, hopefully Smithy with the panel, which is Andrew Gordy and Jim Kayes this morning. But it could be me. Maybe I can file for two paychecks this week. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Well, it's Smithy's favourite time of the day, actually, at 23 past 10, when we have the panel, and we've got two of the best panellists we've got on our books, and Jim Kays from Sky Sport and several other things that Jimmy does, and Andrew Gordy from News Hub, my old workmate. Um, no Smithy today, guys. Uh, Gordy, morning. How are you? 
Yeah, not too bad, mate. Great to have you subbing in as the voice of sport in New Zealand, mate. Uh, great to hear the Dolphin tones, and, and great to, great to hear Jimmy on the line as well, my, my old sparring partner. Great, great to see you, Jimmy. Oh, mate, we should just be doing this over a few beers, shouldn't we? Really, should we down at the viaduct with a cup of cold one? Absolutely, would love that, Jimmy. I know Smithy's coming up on Friday, so I have warned uh, the bartenders on the viaduct to look out. Uh, he had a lot at Turks last weekend. He's back in form. Uh, just a shame as uh, Kit's not working at the moment, fellas, so you're stuck with me. Gord's a great story on News Hub last night, uh, a bit of an exclusive about what's happening with the Black Caps and Australia. Can you fill me in and our listeners in? Yeah, for sure, mate. So there's obviously been uh, a bit of uncertainty around this upcoming Black Caps tour to Australia, uh, scheduled to play three one-dayers in the 2020 match over there very, very soon. They're supposed to be leaving, uh, my understanding is, on Monday. Um, but New Zealand cricket, of course, they, when they planned this tour, the idea was that the border would be open. They wouldn't need to uh, have MIQ to be concerned about. Of course, that's all changed. And so... New Zealand cricket was in this difficult situation. They hadn't booked any MIQ spots, and so they were looking at having to postpone the tour. Now, from what I gather, uh, there's been some pretty high-level discussions going on over the last week or so. Um, New Zealand cricket were of the mind to, to not go ahead with the tour. From what I gather, Cricket Australia turned around and said, we really need you to come, and I suppose that's uh, uh, understandable given that half their Ashes test only went for three days, so they need a few more bums on seats over there in Australia. Um, so the, the compromise that, from what I understand, has been reached is that the players will go over there uh, but instead of coming home at the end of that tour, they're, they're intending to remain there while Australia plays five scheduled T20s against Sri Lanka. And then there were three 2020 matches that the world champion Australians, of course, were supposed to come over here and play, mm. two games in Wellington and one in Napier. My understanding now is that those games are going to be played in Australia after that Sri Lankan series. So it's an understandable compromise in the situation. And, of course, it means that uh, by the time those players will then be due to come home, it'll be sort of March. And my, understand that, my understanding is that New Zealand cricket uh, might have a better chance of securing places in MIQ for those players um, sort of a month down the track to what they were supposed to be coming home. Um, I suppose the, the, the interesting part there is you're asking players to go away for a lot longer than they were probably intending to go away for. Um, and it probably does add... Um, a bit of a bit of a tricky situation, I suppose, when it comes to the back end of the, the summer. Of course, we've got uh, uh, the Proteas coming here for, for tests, but we've also got the Netherlands coming here as well. So whether they're going to run into any trouble with those tours, uh, with those that group of players, I suppose, being away for a lot longer than intended, uh, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But certainly we're expecting more to hear more from New Zealand cricket on this. Uh, probably in the next 24 hours, potentially even later today. Yeah, Jim, Andrew mentions the word compromise there, but it sounds like we didn't want to go to Aussie. They want us there, and then we lose the probably three games that the New Zealand public's looking forward to the most this summer, three T20s against Aussie, who we lost to in that World Cup final. So does it sound like a compromise to you, or Aussie just telling New Zealand cricket what to do? Oh, yeah, I guess a little bit of that. Um, certainly there's been compromises all over the place, and, and sport we've seen that with the All Blacks in the last two years, haven't we? Uh, in terms of having to play so much of, of their rugby in Australia. But this whole thing just reinforces to me, and I, it's probably too late to even worry about it now, but wouldn't it have been good 18 months ago if Sport New Zealand had, had got hold of some uh, facility, and, and there's, a, there's a superb one at Massey University in Palmerston North, and, and just basically rented it full-time as a quarantine facility for sports teams? 
where you could turn up, you could be quarantined, you could train, and, and everything would have been so much easier. Um, it just seems that they missed the boat really there, that perhaps the government as well missed the boat, and that we, we could have had some sort of a facility that would have helped make all of this a lot easier, because then we wouldn't, we wouldn't see sports teams need to book MIQ. And as Gordon said, you know, it's hard to do that when there's so much uncertainty around. So, look, it's a pity for, for cricket, it's a pity for cricket fans, um, and as you say, KD, there seems to be some sort of a compromise here, but I just think that sport in New Zealand massively missed the boat at least 18 months ago when yep. so much of this could have been sorted out. Absolutely agree. So just with your crystal ball, Jim, we're supposed to have a Super Rugby kind of Pacific competition <laughs> this year. Uh, how are we feeling about maybe getting across the Tasman for some rugby games? Is that my crystal ball that's made me so rich at the TAB? <laughs> yeah, uh, same one as me. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, look, I just don't. I think it's 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 ridiculous to even for me to even try to guess. Yeah. Um, you've got to hope, I guess. Uh, you've got to hope that that we get back to some sort of a bubble with Australia. But it's it's just it's rampant over there, isn't it? At yeah. the moment, this this COVID nineteen. So I don't know. Ideally, yes. Uh, but who who would know? Yeah, yeah. And just before we head to the news, Gords, I saw Tom Latham playing T20 last night for Canterbury. First game in three years, uh, which is quite amazing. Uh, I like him as a T20 player. Uh, he's different. He showed his aggressive nature last night coming down the pitch a couple of times. And we used Daryl Mitchell in that slot of the T20 World Cup. Heading into another T20 World Cup this year in Australia, is Tom Latham a guy you'd want to see playing more short format cricket? Well, I think it's definitely something to consider, JC. And look, at the end of the day, Tom Latham, obviously, I think he's probably going to go down as one of, if not, you know, perhaps our best ever test opener. But I think it's really wrong at times to just uh, pigeonhole someone as a test player. He's clearly got quality. I I think it's fair to say that he's he's one of our very best batsmen. And if that includes T20 cricket and Tom wants to play T20 cricket, then I absolutely think it's something that should be considered. You remember this debate a, a few years ago that uh, Kane Williamson should stop playing T20 yeah. cricket. And, and you really have to sort of stop and think, like, what was the foundation for that? He's an outstanding player. And if he wants to play all three formats, and let's face it, why wouldn't you? I mean, that's where all the money is at the end of the day for, yep. for these players. So if Tom Latham wants to play T20 cricket, he's clearly good enough. I think he absolutely has to be considered. Yeah, completely agree. All right, guys, if you could hang along there, that would be fantastic. We'll go to the news now. And what I want to talk to you about after the news is a bit of Nick Kyrgios. Always fun to talk about the Silver Ferns and RTS being a number 12 for the Blues. All to come after the news with Trudy. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. We have got technical people furiously running around the studio trying to get Ian Smith back on air. So we are trying, people, but at the moment you're stuck with me, John Day as producer, and Jim Kayes and Andrew Gordy. And the uh, Australian Open's underway, guys. Uh, No Novak Djokovic, so we can park that, can't we, and actually concentrate on some tennis. But we've got another polarising guy uh, on on the courts here in Melbourne. Nick Kyrgios. Jim Kayes, are you a fan of Nick Kyrgios? Yes or no? I am now. I, I probably wasn't a year or so back or, or, or even a couple of years back, but he's won me over a little bit just because he's so he's consistent in his personality, I guess. Yeah, so yeah. I, I like I like that about him. And man, he can play tennis when he puts his mind to it and, and I and I love tennis. I love watching the Australian Open. So yeah, I think sometimes he doesn't do himself any favours and I understand why people think he's a plonker. 
but that performance last night, if you watched him play last night, he, he had every tennis shot in the, in, the, in the books. And, you know, we need more people coming through with personalities in the game. We're, we're, we're seeing the, the twilight of uh, Novak Djokovic, uh, Djokovic and, and Roger Federer and, and Rafael Nadal and, and those guys who have, have carried the, the load for so long. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I am. I, I have become a fan of him. So have I. What about you, Gords? Love the guy. Absolutely love the guy. He's, he's 100% box office. Yep. Um, and, yeah, like, I don't agree with everything he does and says, but I think he is great for the game of tennis. And, man, like, like you say, Jim, I mean, sometimes he can be a bit of a plonk, plonker. Well, he's, he's certainly no, no more of a plonker than Novak Djokovic. <laughs> and, um, you know, just because you've got 20 Grand Slam titles to your game, just because you've got 20 Grand Slam titles to your name doesn't mean you're great for the game. I think what Novak Djokovic has done over the last wee while has, has been a stain on the game, actually. And, you know, I'd far rather have characters like Nick Kyrgios in the game. Like I say, don't necessarily agree with everything he says and does, but he's pure entertainment. And, yeah, I, I just love him. And especially love him when it comes around to the Australian Open, when he's in front of a home crowd. He is he is divisive. People love him. You know, some people love him, some people hate him, and it's just great entertainment. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's going to be a ripper tournament, Jimmy. It's hard to really pick an yeah. out-and-out winner on the on the men's side, especially now that there's none of the big three. So who are you kind of looking at to, to win the title? Well, Medvedev and, and Rafa would be, you know, your, your firm favourites. Uh, I mean, you know, here's an outrageous thing. Is Nick Kyrgios good enough that he had the temperament uh, to go through and, and win a Grand Slam? He, he certainly got the game, but doesn't he have the temperament? So... I don't, you know, that'll be that'll be interesting to to watch. I'd part of me, the the sort of cheeky part of me, would like Rafa to win it just so that he moves one ahead of uh, Djokovic. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> you know, and I'd love I'd love to see Ash Barty win the women's, you know, at home uh, to really sort of stamp her her class as the as the number one female tennis player in the world. It would be great for her to win at home. So those would be my two, but it would be hilarious and outrageous if if Nick Kyrgios went through and won, it on the, won the men's draw. Yeah, it would be unbelievable. I can't really see that happening, but we hope that would be a box office moment, that's for sure. Gord's a lot of netball happening at the moment, which is great. It's been few and far between international netball at the moment, but unfortunately for us, the Silver Ferns got clobbered by Australia, were better against England, but still lost. So that's three losses in a row against England and a hiding against Australia but we do have Dame Nolene. So is it in Dame Nolene we trust, or are we starting to panic a little bit about the Ferns? Well, I've got no one else to put my trust in, to be perfectly honest, JD, and I've got um, she's never given me a reason not to trust her. So yeah. absolutely, I've, I've still got faith in her to do, the, to do the job. Clearly, the Silver Ferns are off the pace at the moment, uh, and, and, and I think this morning we've quite clearly seen on form and currently the two best teams in the world, in, in England and Australia. So there's some ground to make up. But I think you've got to remember, too, there's some there's players uh, that you know, you'd like to think will be available down the track that aren't uh, playing for the Silver Ferns at the moment. Um, and so this is obviously an opportunity to build some depth. So I'm, not, I'm certainly not panicking, put it that way. Yeah, like Amelia Anacanazio, Jane Watson, Katrina Rore. We've got all the mums to come back, Jimmy. We're currently introducing some mums back into the side and Kayla Johnson and Phoenix Cutaker. So uh, it's not all doom and gloom for the Ferns for you as well, Jimmy? No, not at all. And, and look, Dame Nolene turned them around pretty smartly when she took over uh, yep. going into the World Cup. And, uh, and you just never know this close to something like the Commonwealth Games, what a coach's 
trying to do behind the scenes that will come through and you'll see at, at the um, at the Commonwealth Games. Would, would we like to see the Ferns winning now? Of course we would. But no, I, I've got faith. I've, you've got to have the faith, mate. And it's great to have a Blues fan and a Crusaders fan on the phone, on the panel today. I've been looking forward to this. Who has the better backline? Who has the better backline in Super Rugby? Jim, I'll let you go first because we know now Roger Tuivasa-Sheik's going to be playing 12 for the Blues. Inside Rico Iwani, outside Bowden Barrett. Finlay Christie at nine. You're fitting Caleb Clark. Uh, maybe Stephen Pirofeta at fullback. So do the Blues have a better backline than the Crusaders, Jim? Um, yes, yes Ooh. they do. Oh. Yes they do. <laughs> I think they do. Um, look, a little plug: New Zealand Rugby World, which I edit, big story on Roger Tuivasa-Sheik. Front cover had a chat to Caleb Park, who's been training with him, and also to Leo McDonald. Uh, I think Roger Tuivasa-Sheik is going to be outrageously good at rugby and at second five for the Blues. And with Bowden Barrett one side, Rico Iwani the other side, look out! Absolutely look out! Problem for the Blues, it's the same problem that the Hurricanes had in the early 2000s. They don't want to get that tag of a Rolls Royce backline and a Morris Minor engine. Mm. So the Fords really need to do the business. Yeah, they're going to miss Patrick Tuipalotu this season. I'd say, Gords, come on, mate, like red and black. Just go through some of the names down in Christchurch. Richie Moonga, <laughs> uh, David Havili. Red and black as well, man. I know, <laughs> I know. I mean, it's just an, an embarrassment, <laughs> an embarrassment of riches, isn't there, Gords? Look, JD, this is this is my favourite time of year. I'll tell you why, right? Because Jim Cage, he gets hit a steam up about how excited he is about the Blues. He gets delusions of grandeur about how great they're going to be this year and this is the year and blah, blah, blah. So I'm actually loving that Roger Tuivasa-Sheik's been named in the 12 because he's going to get extra excited about that, that he's going to be the messiah for the Blues. And I haven't had a look at the draw, but you just know, we all know that Jim's going to be super excited going into this game and then you're going to hear this big pop and that's going to be Jim's, Jim's ego uh, just circling around around the room when the, when the Crusaders forward pack dominate the ball and just feed that, that superb Rolls-Royce backline that they've got down there in Christchurch. I, I don't think there's anything to worry about, but look, I will give you this. Part of me, part of me, is excited about seeing Roger Tuivasa-Sheik play at 12 because I'm actually really pleased that they haven't shoved him out on the wing or anything like that. I yep. think he's such a he's such a supremely talented athlete, um, but also he's got a great brain on him. And I think that uh, the prospect of Bowden Barrett and Roger Tuivasa-Sheik together as a playmaking duo, uh, I think that is something that he can't get excited about. Yeah, even Crusaders fans are getting excited about the Blues. This is a, a worrying sign. Jim Kays, Andrew Gordy, two of the best joining us on the panel today. And Gords, make sure you stay tuned to SCNZ today because at 11 o'clock we have the barrier draw for the Caraca Million, which is going to be awesome with Louis Herman Watt and Mick Guerin coming in. So thanks to the panel. Now is your time to call 0800 150 811. It's stumped by Smithy, but it could just be stumped by John Day today, unfortunately, because Smithy, we're still trying to get him back online. We'll be back after the break with you, trying to win 50 bucks from the TAB and, of course, some sleep drops. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. We're going early today at 14 minutes to 11. Stumped by Smithy, normally after the 11.30 news, but from 11 o'clock this morning, we have the Caraca Million Barrier Draw live and exclusive on SCNZ, and I just want to test it. Smithy, do we have you back? 
Well, hopefully you do, yes. JD. Uh, it's been a nervous wait. I've been listening to the show on the SENZ app. Uh, I think your knowledge of uh, American football is just amazing. Uh, your rapport with your fellow broadcasters uh, there uh, in terms of Jimmy Kays and Andrew Gordy, simply outstanding. And now, of course, uh, we've got someone on the line looking to win 50 bucks. Yep. We do. We're back, which is great. And we are heading to Dunedin again, and it is our friend Luke. Good morning, Luke. Morning, John. Morning, Snowy. Welcome back. Yeah, great to have him back and <laughs> great. great to have him potentially stumping you. So three categories, you choose one, you get all three questions right, you win the prizes. Uh, that includes some Sleep Drops Daytime Revive, New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements. And then you get three questions right, you win. So your categories today are football slash soccer, rugby league or basketball. Which one of those do you like? Oh, go league again. League again. Again. All right, good luck. First question is about Smithy's team, the Melbourne Storm. They have the best winning percentage of any NRL club, mostly because they cheat. What percentage of games have the Storm won in their history? They've played 630. Oh. Ah, 60, 65%. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Not correct, Smithy. And, and what a... I may also add, Luke, and you'll agree with me, this is one of the most ridiculous questions we've had. <laughs> it's anywhere between. I've, got one, I've now got one chance in 99 because Luke's got his wrong. Yeah. So here we go. You've got a better chance. I'll try, 70, try 73%. <laughs> one of the worst things I have ever seen done on a <laughs> cricket field. You were close, Luke. 67% rounded up. 66.66%, oh. which is quite amazing for an NRL team, and you were bloody close, so deserve to go through to question number two, which is... Who was the first coach of the Auckland Warriors in 1995? Oh, um... No, um... He's from England. Wigan guy. John Boney. John Boney. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. We got there in the end. Smithy, did you have that one? Yep, absolutely, on the money with that, but never mind. Yep, there was a real English influence at the Auckland Warriors, wasn't there? All right, for everything, for all the prizes, let's go. Who did New Zealand face in their... Oh, no, that's the wrong question, sorry. Who did the Warriors face in their first game of the NRL season when it kicks off in March? Uh, Is it Gold Coast? One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Incorrect, Luke. All right, Smithy, for the stumping and the jackpot to tomorrow. Who do the Warriors first play this NRL season in March? Uh, for me, is a one of two, so either St George or Newcastle. I'm going to go Newcastle. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Of course it was St George, Smithy, your other option, no, which means, no. Luke, you win. You win the 50 bucks yeah. from the TAB. Well done to you, mate. Thank you, champion. <laughs> Any time, any time. Stay tuned as well, actually. The Crack a Million draw is coming up, Smithy, yeah, and you will wait. be part of it. Yeah, I will. Uh, yeah, congratulations, Luke. Uh, stay with us, um, and we'll get your details uh, very shortly on the success of your 50 bucks. Yeah, Newcastle Knights or St George uh, Dragons. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> let's move on from there, if it's a, an indication of my punting today. Uh, incidentally, uh, whilst you've been uh, busily working away on air, one of the great games of netball unfolded in England, the final of the quad series, John, uh, and it finished 48-all. Uh, 
48 all. Yeah. England scored three goals, three goals in the last 50 seconds with turnovers, etc., uh, and managed to, to nail Australia and get back to 48 all. A terrific finish, really physical, high standard of netball and fast. And I would imagine that's the kind of standard that the Silver Ferns are looking to get to. They're going to have to. So uh, we shall, t- shall we take a short break here, John? You're, in, you're running the cutter at the moment anyway. Uh, and when we come back, uh, we'll have a chat what, to, to Louis Herman Watt um, as we get set up. I can see it getting set up in the studio, the barrier draw. Uh, it's going to be fantastic. So all those owners, trainers, jockeys, etc., with a vested interest in this should be tuning into SENZ for the next hour. Should be fun. Yes, it is. It's 10.56 here on SCNZ as well. We're heading in across uh, to the TAB now and uh, talk to Paul Mawati on a... A really busy time uh, for them, of course, with tennis. So we'll start with that because uh, we're into, what, day three, uh, Paul. And uh, we've got Andy Murray still in the draw, Rafa Nadal. So whilst we haven't got the Joker or Roger, uh, we've still got some big names for people to support. Oh, yeah, 100% we've got some big, big names uh, still in the competition. Of course, uh, yesterday uh, we saw uh, Leila Fernandez, the US Open finalist, uh, get knocked out. Um, so uh, she's gone out of the tournament. Um, the uh, Emma Raducanu, who beat her in the US Open, still there and looked very, very good too. She's now $9.50 to win the Australian Open. Up the top of the market uh, in that uh, Women's Australian Open, Ashley Barty, the hometown favourite, she's a $3.40 favourite. Uh, Naomi Osaka is at $6.00. Uh, and Garbin Muguruza, who also won yesterday uh, at $9.50. Of course, we've got a bonus back promotion uh, on uh, the tennis at the moment. That's for any of the singles matches in the main draw for both the men's and the women's. Uh, check out the TAB website for all the T's and C's there. And we've got a tennis mega multi-buster, which was very, very popular yesterday. So if you like your tennis multis, and there are plenty of matches on today, uh, multi them up, and if you miss you may get a bonus bet anyway. The other thing that's going on, of course, uh, regardless of the fact that the Ashes are over and Bangladesh have left, so Test cricket's pretty quiet at the moment. Big Bash is still uh, really hot at the moment. Paul, is that a big betting option? Yeah, it certainly is. And it's a, on its a pretty good uh, time zone as well. We've got three matches from the Big Bash League uh, today. First one starts just after 3 o'clock. The Brisbane Heat, $2.40 outsiders up against the Sydney Sixers at $1.52. The Sydney Thunder hosting the Melbourne Renegades. And then later on tonight, the Melbourne Stars take on the Hobart Hurricanes. Once again, uh, we've got a, a, bon- a bonus back promotion on the, all three of those uh, cricket matches and also on tomorrow's uh, Auckland Hearts, Wellington Blaze and Auckland Aces, Wellington Firebirds uh, matches. So uh, if you like your cricket, there's plenty on at the moment uh, and we've got a promotion on all three Big Bash matches tonight and the two, or the Women's Smash, uh, Super Smash match tomorrow and the Men's Super Smash match tomorrow. Just very quickly, Paul, we're about to do the Caraca draw live on SENZ in about three or four minutes' time. Uh, will you be sitting on tender hooks? Will it be quick business at the TAB down there? Oh, I know the bookies uh, are ready and willing to go, and I believe that they'll have the final field markets out uh, for the two-year-old and the three-year-old Karaka Million out by about lunchtime uh, today. So once the uh, barrier draw is done, uh, the bookies are going to be all over it, and they'll have those final field markets. Yeah, they're just waving to me now. 
definitely by around midday this afternoon. Good stuff. Okay, we look forward to chatting to those folks. Hopefully before then, uh, it's coming up to 11 o'clock, folks. Stay with us. A really tense time for owners, trainers, jockeys, punters. It's the Caracamillion Million Barrier Draw Show, live and exclusive on ECNZ. And a real first for us this morning. I'm pleased to say this is such an exciting time and uh, a tense time as well for all the connections of the horses uh, racing at Ellerslie this Saturday. And uh, to be perfectly honest, it is a glamour, a twilight of racing, one of the, the best events you can possibly be at. Uh, we'll get a, a chat too very shortly on uh, the availability of tickets, etc. But first, I think we should uh, introduce the, the three men who are sitting in the studio in Auckland who are, are key to all this. Uh, first of all, we're going to hear from uh, Craig Baker uh, very shortly. He is the GM of racing at Auckland Thoroughbred Racing, and he will announce the draw to us, first of all, of the two-year-old uh, and then the three-year-old shortly after that. And in between times, we're going to have uh, comments from... Uh, it's a midweek mail run. It's a midweek mail run. Uh, it's Louis Herman Watt and uh, Mick Guerin, and they're going to run their finger over the draw and all the aspects, the ramifications of what they see initially. So... Uh, first of all, to you, Louis. Uh, exciting time, great racing coming up, and, and so important with so much money at stake. Smithy, along with New Zealand Cup Week Carnival down in Christchurch, the Karakamillion has become the preeminent racing event in New Zealand. Um, New Zealand Bloodstock, Ellerslie, Auckland Thoroughbred Racing now done such a superb job to build it up. I'm I'm fired up to say the least, and I know Mick is sitting there. He can't stop shaking. He's he's loving it too. Oh, fist pump from Mick Guerin, which is very exciting indeed. I, I know that Mick. Uh, has a, a lot of vested interest in this across the board, but Mick, for you, an exciting time. But uh, put yourself right here and now uh, on the seat of those owners, trainers, jockeys, etc., which are listening for this vital information which Craig's about to give us. And Smithy, that raffle started a year ago, or in the three-year-old case, two years ago. You buy these horses and you you dream of getting them here and. Some of these people have, have beaten the odds because it's not easy, not easy to get horses to these races. And now they're thinking this could be for some people, and particularly for owners of fillies, a life-changing race or races. That's what's about to unveil and, and unfold in front of us in the next three days. Okay, well, let's get uh, to it. Uh, welcome in this morning, our most important bloke. He's got the information, Craig Baker, who's the GM of racing at... Uh, Auckland Thoroughbred Racing, uh, Craig, let's uh, get straight into it, shall we, with uh, perhaps the, the two-year-old uh, million-dollar race to, to begin with. Um, a, a great event. Of course, it's been dominated, uh, as we all would know, by Tiako over the last five years in particular. But um, let's uh, find out how all the owners, trainers, etc., have fared in the draw. You've got the information for us. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Ian. So uh, in the double tree by Hilton, Cracker Million, two-year-old. Number one, Fellini's drawn six. Number two, Mascarinto's drawn four. Number three, Sacred Satono drawn one. Number four, Time Ruler's drawn nine. Number five, Lord Cosmos has drawn 14. Number six, Dynastic has drawn five. Number seven, Alabama Gold has drawn 15. Number eight, Gibraltar Rising has drawn 10. Number nine, Wolverine, has drawn 13. Number 10, Pacific Dragon, has drawn 12. Number 11, Grayson Gray, has drawn three. Number 12, Gwen Stefani, has drawn eight. Number 13, Dis is Dramatic, has drawn 11. Number 14, Timeless, has drawn two. And number 15, Time Flies, the first ballot, so we'll need a scratching to make the field, has drawn seven. 
Okay, uh, Craig Baker, we're uh, with the announcement of that particular race, uh, the draw there, and the first thing that comes to mind uh, for me, Louis Herman, what Wolverine at thirteen? Wolverine draws out, Craig. Spicy. That gives a little bit of interest. Uh, I know for connections, Australian bloodstock, Royd and Burgesson, who we'll hear from later, they would have been wishing to draw in. But seeing Dynastic draw six and Wolverine draw uh, 13, or five for Dynastic, sorry, five for Dynastic, apologies there. Uh, Wolverine 13, that's really interesting. The other one, Mick, Pacific Dragon drawn alongside Wolverine 12. It'd be interesting to see if Leith wants cover from 13 and if McNabb goes forward on Pacific Dragon. Well, the key factor is of the horses at the top of the market, so there was around six of them, two of them, the non-Tiakau horses, have drawn wide, Wolverine and Pacific Dragon. They have not been aided by the draws. There's a long way between them and the rails now. We sort of thought this was the year Tiakau, who have won the last five Karakamillions, would be beatable, but their horses who they think can win the race. Key ones, Fellini, six, perfect. Dynastic, five, absolutely perfect. Grace and Grey, barrier three. And let us say it again, perfect. If there was maybe a $2.50 chance Tiaka were going to win the Karaka million again before the barrier draw, that would now be odds on. Mm, interesting for me, fellas. Can I just take you back to last year? Uh, the influence of the draw on the race last year, uh, from memory, on the bubbles, who went on to win the two-year-old event through 14, the outside, or very close to it. Yeah, bit of a bulletproof two-year-old. I remember Jamie saying at the time he would just come on and he kind of declared himself as their number one chance. I think for Tiako this time, they might have a, a pretty even bunch of two-year-olds. Wolverine, I think, deservedly heads the market, or did in futures. Will the barriers change that? I'm not too sure, Smithy, but... Yeah, it certainly will. It, yeah. I would say there'll be a huge push now for Dynastic. He will go close to running favourite. I know that sounds crazy, but he will. Uh, there'll be a lot of money for Grace and Grey. People love low barriers. And I would say Wolverine, I'll be stunned if you're not shopping north of $4 on Saturday afternoon. At, uh, sorry, Saturday early evening. The race goes at 6.29. Okay, well, let's uh, go, uh, because I'm sure down at the TAB, uh, they're already running around uh, doing things and uh, also are eagerly awaiting the, the draw for the, the three-year-old, the second of the million-dollar races. So, uh, Craig, can you uh, please put us out of our misery, those with a vested interest in that, uh, and and hope for the best all round. Okay, so the barrier draw for the Cracker Million three-year-old classic, number one on the bubbles, current favourite, draw nine, two to Kaka, six, Sophisticado, 19, number four, Whiskey, seven, number five, Titoki, 14, number six, Turn the Ace, three, number seven, Drum Major, eight, number eight, The Stony One, four, Number nine, Rain It In, 15. Number 10, Leading Man, 13. Number 11, The Landing, 18. Number 12, Yes We Can, 16. Number 13, Achieve, 20. Number 14, Carmen Line, 17. Number 15, Miss Ella, 1. Number 16, Pin Me Up, 10. Number 17, 722. Number 18, Verona, 5. And number 19, River Plate, Ballot 1, 12. And number 20, Buccielli, Ballot 2, 11. Okay, thanks very much uh, to Craig Baker there. That's the announcement of 
the three-year-old. So, uh, like we did with the two-year-old, quick analysis for first all from you, Mick, this, two, this time round. Yeah, thanks, Smithy. On the bubble's pretty well placed. Barrier nine, he's a horse. They would like to see two or three pairs back on the outside, and that gives Opie Botson the option to head forward. Uh, key factor number one, Miss Ella. Very impressive maiden winner last time. She's going to settle handy to the speed from here. The She will absolutely come in in the market. And the second favourite pre-draw, Smithy, no joy for Carmen Line. Barrier 17 will start from Barrier 15 and will be a significant drifter in the market. Yeah, uh, Mick, you bang on there. Carmen Line got back at Ellerslie last start, didn't she, and just struggled to... Yeah, she got home and they found mucus in a trachea on that okay. occasion. So maybe an excuse, but Barrier 15, where you're gonna, you'd say she'll be probably two, three pairs behind on the bubbles. Miss Ellis, the interesting draw, one, can jump. And we saw put her away a pretty moderate field, to be fair, last start. But can gallop. So depending there, all these races are pace dependent, right? Well, And also that's late in the day. It's the last race of the day. So barrier one often isn't as big an advantage last in the day as it is first in the day. The other big loser, Louis, is the horse that backed in from 61 to 12 pre-draw. The fans of Sophisticado not getting what they want. Mm. He's got barrier 19 to start from 17. Okay, uh, could I just, um, fellas, just for those people that might have tuned in just a wee bit late, uh, can we, uh, Craig, could I ask you to read them both out again, please, just for those people that um, would uh, might just have missed it or might have missed the odd one as you read them out. If you could go through both the two- and three-year-old race again for us with those barrier draws, that would be fantastic, please. Look, no worries, Ian. So the two-year-old race, we've got number one, Fellini, at drawn six. Number two, Mascarinto, four. Number three, Sacred Satano, one. Number four, Time Ruler, nine. Number five, Lord Cosmos, 14. Number six, Dynastic, five. Number seven, Alabama Gold, 15. Number eight, Gibraltar Rising, 10. Number nine, Wolverine, 13. Number 10, Pacific Dragon, 12. Number 11, Grace and Grey, three. Number 12, Gwen Stefani, eight. Number 13, Dis is Dramatic, 11. Number 14, Timeless 2. And the first ballot, number 15, Time Flies 7. And the barrier draw for the three-year-old, the Cracker Million Three-Year-Old Classic. Number 1, On the Bubbles, 9. Number 2, Tutukaka, 6. Number 3, Sophisticado, 19. Number 4, Whiskey, 7. Number 5, Titoki, 14. Number 6, Turn the Ace, 3. Number 7, Drum Major, 8. Number eight, the stony one, four. Number nine, rein it in, 15. Number 10, leading man, 13. Number 11, the landing, 18. Number 12, yes we can, 16. Number 13, achieve, 20. Number 14, Carmen line, 17. Number 15, Miss Ella, one. Number 16, pin me up, 10. Number 17, 722. Number 18, Verona, 5. Number 19, First Ballot, River Plate, 12. Number 20, Bucciarelli, Ballot 2, 11. Thank you very much. Uh, it's Craig Baker. And Craig, uh, I couldn't, uh, I could not not include you in the conversation too. Uh, on a number of issues, first of all, the long-term forecaster, have we uh, got an idea on what kind of track at this point, two, to two and a bit days out, we're looking at. Yeah, so we'll aim to produce a dead four track um, for the start of racing and whether it gets upgraded halfway through the day or remains at a dead four. So that's the 
that's uh, what we're looking to achieve. And the weather forecast, there is a few showers, but only about two mil between now and Saturday, so that's nothing. So there'll be plenty of irrigation that will be applied. Um, it's a tricky day to, um, or the trickiest day for us to get the track spot on because of the late start. But we've had, had a fair bit of experience now with this race meeting, so it's about a, applying enough irrigation on the Friday night to ensure that it doesn't dry out too much. Uh, and the other thing, of course, uh, Craig, is uh, what facilities, etc., are available? I know there's always a question mark over events these days. We're, we're sitting on tender hooks about all sorts of traffic light systems or whatever. What have you got available? What is gone? Uh, and what should people now be looking to do to get involved? Yeah, so jump on our website, allersley.co.nz, but um, the garden party in Cuvées sold out um, yesterday, so that's unavailable, but we've still got the Cavallo Club garden party, which is on the on the public lawn there, which is really popular. Um, we've also got Silks Restaurant available, Ascot stand tickets available to purchase, and, of course, plenty of GA tickets available at $20. So jump on the website, allersley.co.nz, and you can buy your tickets straight off there. And as always, uh, the program starts, what, mid-afternoon and uh, at the completion of it, you you still have your frivolity. Are we allowed to do that? Yeah, so first race, 4.29, so it's a pretty late start. Last last race, 7.48, and plenty of um, action after the last end. So I expect to see you dancing in Cuvée um, <laughs> sometime <laughs> after that last race. I'll tell you what, if a certain horse, is win, horse wins it, <laughs> you know damn well I will be, Craig. Um, but here... here and we should give you the opportunity too. Winners and losers on the draw, in your in your opinion? Oh, in the two-year-old race, um, I mean, uh, Mick touched on it, but obviously Wolverine and Pacific Dragon uh, makes it tough from out there. But, um, I mean, we have seen horses uh, win from wide gates in, in this two-year-old race, but certainly the winners uh, would be dynastic um, with Opie. I can just see him lobbing into the 1-1 which he's done a few times previously to win this race. Um, Mascarinto, who I've got a bit of time for, has been ha- sort of hampered by bad draws. He draws well in four. Um, Fellini in six and Sacred Satono um, drawn one's got speed, so I could sort of see that being in the trail potentially. And also Grayson Gray might be the leader from three. Um, in the three-year-old race on the bubbles, it's a bit sticky, to be honest. Barrier nine can get... I hope you might... might might have to make a decision from there. Um, probably would have preferred to draw in, draw in a little bit. Uh, Sophisticado, that's a horror draw for that horse, especially with a little bit of doubt that it'll get the run out a strong mile. Titoki hasn't fared well at the, at the barrier with 14. That'll have to go back, I would imagine. Um, so, yeah, the draws have opened it up a fair bit. And Carmen Lyon, who's second favourite, drawn 17. That's, that's not good either. Craig Baker with us there, folks. And... Um uh, all the details, of course, of that draw will be made available to you. But more discussion on it. Uh, we've got another uh, 40 minutes or so to mull it over with uh, with Craig, uh, with Louis, and uh, with Mick Guerin. It's a midweek edition of the Mail Run, and we're going to also introduce uh, a couple of trainers uh, in Royden Burgesson. Uh, we're going to have uh, Jamie Richards, the major interest uh, with Jamie Richards, all those runners, uh, and Andrew Seabrook, of course, who's uh, the boss of New Zealand Thoroughbred. Uh, in terms of the Caracas sales and, and everything around the Caracas brand. So we're going to be talking uh, to those three gentlemen, uh, and uh, Louis and Mick as well, with their thoughts as we continue this uh, exclusive here on SENZ, all about racing for the next 40-odd minutes. It is 11.23 on this midweek edition of the Mail Run, and uh, on the line we've got uh, a gentleman who is, I'm sure, very interested in what has just unfolded 
in our Auckland studio, the barrier draw for both uh, the $1 million race for two-year-olds and the three-year-olds later in the evening. Uh, it's good morning to Jamie Richards. Jamie, thanks so much for joining us. Um, so many uh, horses you've got in line in these two races. But first of all, on a, just on a personal note, this could be uh, your last carnival for quite some time. Exciting news uh, moving overseas. Uh, I would imagine you'll have some interesting thoughts on the night. For sure, Smithy. Yeah. Good morning, um, boys. Um, yeah, it's going to be a um, kind of a good night as long as we can get a couple of winners. I'm sure everybody will be happy. Hey, yeah, it will be. And you've had dominance so far, Louis. All over to you, man. No, yeah, that's right. I was just going to say, well, you know how to make the most of the night, Jamie, and do your little two-step in the party room afterwards. Um, let's. Why don't we start with the main event, mate? The two-year-old. Uh, it's a race you cherish. Dynastic. When you heard that number pulled. How did it make you feel? What was your immediate reaction? Yeah, good, spot on. Exactly where it needs to be. Gives um, gives up OP options, and um, you know, hopefully he's going to be a little bit closer to the fence than he was on debut. Jamie, it gets to the pointy end of the season for these two-year-olds now. When you look at their coats and how they're feeling, how they've advanced, all those little tiny things that we can't see. Who are the one or two horses who would appear to be in the zone for this race this week? Uh, I think Dynastic is certainly one of those. I have a ride on him myself this morning. He feels good. He seems to have um, come through his um, gallop at Ellerslie well on Monday. Um, I think it's just a little bit of timing about Fellini as well. Um, he's got a similar sort of profile to some of our... Um, so some of our previous winners coming through the, the race that he won. Um, now, he's not a, a big, strong, you know, strapping, uh, outstanding-looking horse or anything like that. He was a, he's a fairly cheap sort of buy by by the boss at the sale. Um, but he is uh, all heart and courage and uh, seems to front up and get the job done. Jamie, just before we get back to your other ones, I know Wolverine, probably you were, would have been listening out for that draw, drawing out 13. Just on this filly, how much respect have you had for the record she's put together and hearing her draw out make you a little bit more comfortable? Uh, the dominant filly of the season so far. Um, no doubt about that. She's been brilliant. Um, she's going to need luck in running from 13, but um, uh, we have won it from the outside a couple of times with, um, with on the bubbles last year and probably... Um, you know, a couple of seasons before that, so that that is a, a, a you know underlines the quality of of what you need to you know the horse that you need to be able to win from those outside barriers, and um, she's certainly putting together a good record. So you know, it does um, I guess it does favour us a little bit, but luck and running if she's ready with a bit of cover, I wouldn't be too concerned. Okay, Jamie, you mentioned on the bubbles, won this race last year into the three-year-old race as a dominant favourite, and everything looks to be stacking up well, except one thing. And I don't want to overstate it, but I want to get your thoughts. Trialled last week at Matamata, trialled very average. He can do that in track work. Where has he been at since? And how confident are you? You can get the best version of On the Bubbles to Ellerslie at 7.48 on Saturday night. Yeah, as you say, Mick, it was, it was a disappointing trial. Um, but it wouldn't be the first time he's been a bit of a laid out there on the course proper uh, here at Matamata before. Um and he can do that in some of his track work sometimes as well. But um, his work on Saturday was good. His work on Tuesday was better. Um, he looked like he's right back in the zone uh, uh, from where I was watching. And I hope he gave him a big thumbs up on the way back in as well. So, um, yeah, I think he's back where he needs to be. But um, 
Um, obviously, for the for the pundits and the like out there, the trial was disappointing. But for me, no concerns at all with the way the week's gone. Jamie, for punters betting into a couple of other races, key runners, Amaralina in race two, and probably even more importantly, Sword of State in race three. What are the expectations around that pair on Saturday night? Uh, Amaralina's going really well, uh, as good as we've had her going all season, which I think she needs to be because she um, didn't have a lot, lot of luck in Australia. Um, but, you know, the 1400 is probably probably a touch sharp. Um but she's ready to run, you know, a, a big race fresh up. Um, and sort of state, he's going well. His trial was good. Um, he's got to carry a little bit of weight. In, in an ideal world, I would have loved the race to have been set weights, but it's set weights and penalties. He's got to carry a bit of weight. He's not an overly big horse. Um, but speaking to some of the form guys last night, if it was run at a true handicap, you know, those horses that were sort of down the bottom of the book, they'd be, you know, for 10 kilos, uh, you know, sort of, uh, would be a true handicap of where sort of state is compared to compared to some of the others. So, although he's got to carry weight, um, I don't think the four kilos or five, four kilos that he gives to some of the ones down the bottom is the be or an end all. Jamie, just one last one for me, mate. I always love asking Team Tiako this on Karaka Million Night because you usually have a strong hand and it's easy to overlook one. Is there a smoky or something that we might not have spoken about that you're actually expecting to go well and, and either surprise or, or run a really good race into a placing or a drum? Yeah, the big smoky on um, Saturday night is Marcus Aurelius in the Concord. Um, I know he, you know, 1,200 is short of his best, but his trial was brilliant the other day. Uh, he seems to be coming up really well, uh, and don't be surprised to see him flash into a place uh, in the Concord there on Saturday night. Hey, well, Jamie, um, all the best with the last couple of days of preparation. We know they're vital. I uh, hope it all goes to plan there. Hope you're relatively happy with uh, what you've heard come out of the barrel this morning, which is um, uh, which is obviously important to you, your owners, uh, to David in, in particular, and, and to your jockeys as well. Um, uh, I guess also Danielle's progress uh, after the, the leg problem and the operation. Um, obviously, she's going to have mixed feelings not being there. She would have had some great rides, but how's she coping? Yeah, she's, she's going well. Um, she's uh, due a, a re-X-ray and a bit of a... Um uh, get her cast redone tomorrow. Um, so I'm certainly looking forward to forward to assessing how all of that's going. But pretty much she's just been uh, just cruising. She's been spending a bit of time uh, with her parents at home and a little bit of time here at Matamata. Um, but yeah, she's in good spirits and um, she's certainly looking forward to being up there on course on, on Saturday night. Although she won't be able to be riding, she'll certainly be enjoying a, a couple of glasses of champagne. I would imagine she will. Uh, and let's hope you can at the end of the night as well. Uh, Jamie, let's uh, let's hope it all goes well for you, uh, and uh, the, the Tangerine Army can to be to the forefront anyway. Uh, thanks very much for your time this morning. All the best with those final preparations. Thanks, Billy. Thanks, boys. Yeah, cheers, uh, Jamie Richards. There, uh, it's eleven thirty here on SENZ. So uh, that was a relatively happy trainer, I think it's fair to say, uh, with what came out of the barrel for him. We are in the midweek edition of uh, the Mail Run. We've got uh, Louis Herman Watt with us uh, in our Auckland studio alongside uh, Mick Guerin. They've been analysing the first 30 minutes. Uh, the ramifications for uh, trainers, etc., on the, the barrier draw for both the million-dollar races coming up this weekend. Incidentally, all this is uh, brought to you by New Zealand's Thoroughbred and Standard Bread Auction House. Uh, your source of success, go to nzb.co.nz. Uh, and joining us on the line now, uh, very successful Central District trainer who's having a heck of a season uh, this year. And it's been, I think, highlighted by his uh, 
two-year-old filly, Wolverine. Royden Burgesson uh, joins us. Good uh, good morning, you, Burke. Good morning, Timothy. How are you? Yeah, I'm okay. Uh, how are you? Uh, 13 out of the gate. Um, not probably what you were looking for. Was it drawn under police supervision? No, nah, we'll do it again if you're unhappy. Uh, we'll do it again. <laughs> if you're, are you unhappy? Let us know. We'll, we'll put them all back in and we'll do it again if you like. <laughs> That'd be great. No, no, I'm, I'm happy. No. <laughs> she, she's not, she's not a, um, she doesn't put herself in the race in any of her starts so far. So look, there's a bit of concern, but that's least problem now. Not, um, she'll stay out of trouble. There, there'll be a lot of banging and crashing going on early and she'll be just sitting back smoking a pipe. So... Look, I'd rather draw 13 than one, so. Yeah, with those two-year-olds, yep. Berg, that makes sense, mate. You don't want them getting in trouble early. You want a, one clean shot at them down the outside. Hey, um, how, how big was it to get Leith involved? I know with a few, with Danielle Johnson, obviously, and I'm not sure those conversations would involve you and Aussie Bloodstock, but when Leith was available and you booked him, was that a relief? He's been down my lawns for the last two weeks. <laughs> that'll help. That'll help with the weight. Love it. <laughs> hey, Royden, Royden, I've got good news. Um, we've taken your advice. We've redrawn the field, and you've now got barrier fifteen. So, so things have, <laughs> things have got worse. Yeah. Hey, yeah, Royden, what do you do with her now? Like, I presume she's had a gallop this week. Um, when does she travel? I presume you don't do the entire trip up in one day. So, what happens in the next couple of days for Wolverine? Uh, look, she'll just have a quiet bit of work tomorrow and that'll be it. Um, she'll be on the float at quarter to six on Friday morning like she was last time before the eclipse. She'll go to Richard Collett's and spend the night there. Go out in the paddock for four or five hours and chill out. And She's really happy, travelled up super last time, so just kept it all the same, same plan, so everything's working out. One Very thing, well at the moment, so. one thing you might have to do, Royden, is um, she doesn't need to learn about Ellerslie. She learnt plenty last time. Bit of a bumping jewel. She got on the wrong leg, which may have been because of the other horse taking her line. Do you expect her to be a better Ellerslie horse the second time around? Yeah, definitely. She had a good, good look around the other day. Look, she just kept. If you watch the replay, she just keeps looking at that horse, keep coming out at her. So, yeah, we thought about the blinkers, but I don't think she's she's needs them. She's Look, her work since um, the eclipse. She spent three days in the paddock after the eclipse down at Chris Rutten's, and she's come back, I think, better than ever. Like um, Her work yesterday suggests that she's peaked at the right time. Hey, Berg, you said a while back to Mick and me on the mail run that she reminded you of a mare, to be honest. Like, she's just so sturdy. And I, I kind of keep coming back to the word professional. She just keeps doing it. Is she a great doer for a two-year-old? And, and has that put her in excellent stead for a big race night with loud crowds? Oh, look, she came in from Auckland, you know, six and a half hours on the float. Looked the bowl clean after the eclipse. Just went out in the paddock for two or three days. Look, she's got the structure of like a a four-year-old mare. She's so strong, very strong. Got a great appetite. Work just loves getting, just loves working. Like it it took four of us to sell her up this morning. She's just trying to bite and kick everybody, squealing and bucking onto the track and, yeah, she's once she's worked, she's the quite a source in stables. She just wants to get out there and do it. It's exciting, uh, Berg, to, to say that. It means uh, she's going to be nicely on the toe and ready uh, come Saturday uh, late afternoon. Uh, having uh, seen the draw, I'm not quite sure if you took much interest in uh, what the other horses drew around you, but dangers in the race from your point of view on what you've seen from the other two-year-olds? 
Oh, obviously, Jamie's army. They're all probably professional, and you know, I hope he makes a big difference. So, but we've got a good jockey. I'm, I think there's more horses worried about me than I'm worried about them. So, look, it's the horse race. Anything can happen, but I'm pretty happy with the way the condition she's going in. And um, yeah, look, they're all all got a chance, haven't they? All got a shot at the gold. You never know in a horse race, but hopefully we've got the best one, and she can overcome the draw and he gives her a good trip she'll be she'll be there and finish fighting on I know that well being a good central district's trainer you love sticking it to the northern ones so just while all the attention's on these big races and Wolverine in particular have you got one floating under the radar that we might show a bit of interest in over the next few days just to give us something come on Burke uh, look, I've got a couple of nice horses running at Trentham on Saturday um, also got reined in on the three year old mile He's, yep, um, of course. He's, he's racing okay, just hasn't really clipped on yet. The penny hasn't dropped, but he's got, a, he's got another draw, awkward draw too. So, um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting day. But uh, a couple at Wellington. Um, Bratton probably should be winning the 65-1200 on his last start. Suggests that, um, yeah, he's really good sectional as his passes of the day coming home. So, the straight up. Uh, Wellington should suit him. He's raced very well there before, so no excuses for him, I hope. Okay, Burke, thank you very much for your time this morning. Uh, All the best with your final preparations, and uh, no wonder. uh, I I think no surprise we'll probably catch you uh, in the entertainment area at some stage throughout the the afternoon or late evening. So all the best uh, as it unfolds. Uh, Thoughts with you, man. Thanks, mate. Okay, uh, Royden Burgesson with us there as well. Uh, what did you make of those comments, uh, Mick? Pretty quiet and pretty accepting of the draw. And as he said, uh, it's up to Leaf now. And uh, in terms of senior jockeys, uh, he's got a good one there. Yeah, he has. And the very pragmatic horse trainers, Smithy, as I said to you a few weeks ago, even the best horse trainers lose 80% of the time. So they go in there and think, what will be? will be because otherwise you would go completely crazy. He's got a horse who can win. She came from back in the field at Tarapa most impressively two starts ago. She is absolutely still one of the horses to beat. But yes, that was not the information he wanted out of Craig Baker this morning. No, it's not. Um, It isn't at all, to be fair. Uh, But having said that, um, I was uh, pretty close to the uh, On The Bubbles team last year. Uh, they drew right out, Mick, and uh, you know what happened there. There was a piece of riding brilliance on the day from Jonathan Parks, uh, getting the horse from wide, making a decision, and uh, Leith's going to have to do that at some point as well, I would imagine. Uh, and he's well equipped to do that. Knows the track well, knows uh, and knows big races well. And uh, was it not him, Louis, him and what, who won the three-year-old last year on uh, Egon? Yeah, clinical ride as well. Clinical ride. Hey, Smithy, just before I know we're going to shoot off to get to Seabrook on the other side with NZB. Mm-hmm. Andy, but Dynastic, the markets are open. Dynastic 380, Wolverine 450, and those are the two major ones. Fellini $5, Grayson Gray $5. So I'll let you go have a look at that in this wee moment here, and we'll be back with Seabrook, eh? And it is 11.46 here on SENZ. Uh, we're coming towards the end of our exclusive hour uh, regarding... Uh, this week's magnificent carnival that they've put together, of course, uh, New Zealand's premier thoroughbred and standard bread auction house, your source of success. You simply have to go to nzb.co.nz. And I'm really pleased to say on the line uh, we've got uh, their managing director, uh, Andrew Seabrook, uh, who joins us. First of all, Andrew, welcome to the show. Congratulations on putting together 
another great event, everyone looking forward to it. Slight difference this year, of course, it's a little bit more removed from the sales itself. Yeah, morning, Smithy. Yeah, great to be here. Um, yeah, completely different this year, of course, and uh, a, a lot less stress too, to be honest. Of course, we always uh, sell at Karaka the day after the Karaka Million, and uh, that selling goes for a week or so. But because of COVID and various other things, we've, we've put the sales off this year till uh, March. So, uh, yeah, so this is the first time ever that the sales haven't followed the big uh, night at Ellerslie. Hey, Sebs, good to have you on, mate. Appreciate your time. Uh, how's this summer been for you? Did things, the timeline been pushed back a little bit different. Did, did that just mean that there was a, a bit more of a, a calmness around the place, or are you still thinking about March and getting through the Karakamillion and still busy as ever? You know, always thinking about uh, the sales, even though they're not till March. But it's been fantastic, you know. It's um, I know we put off the sale to March because of COVID and we're trying to get the borders open. But it looks like it's... Um, it's Everyone's really pleased, you know. Even though we're not going to get the internationals here, because it's given given everyone an opportunity to have a have a bit of a break. You know, it's it's a busy time. We've got the ready to run sale in into Christmas and entertaining uh, people from from around the place and yelling parades going on. The breeding season's still happening, so it's um, it's been good. And, and the buyers and the vendors and the vets seem to be happy that they've been given this bit of a reprieve. And of course, the horses have been able to stay out in the paddock sort of six weeks longer. So that's always going to suit the Kiwi breeds to have a bit more time. I'm in the paddock, and and um, I, I think the March sale is going to going to work out really well. Morning, Andrew. Do you think that may be the way heading forward? If all the borders were open and we had no COVID travelling restrictions this time next year, when do you think the decision is made whether we become a March sales industry, or would you like to see it return to the back end of January? We'll be having a good look at the sales this year, Michael, and I, honestly, if, if it goes well in March, um, we'd be very silly not to think about uh, moving the sales there uh, full time. Um, we'd have to make that decision pretty quickly. We'd have to talk to, to Magic Millions and, and Inglises in Australia because, of course, it, it's, it is quite tight in the March sales period. Uh, I'd imagine that one of them could move forward into late January, so to speak, but the feedback I'm getting from, from vendors and, and buyers um, is that, hey, March might be the way to go. Um, so we'll, we'll sit down after the sale, um, talk to talk to buyers and vendors and, and come up with a plan. And, um, you know, if all goes well, um, I, I don't see why we couldn't move them permanently in the future. When you look at the field for the two-year-old uh, Doubletree, on Karaka Doubletree, um, two-year-old race here, Andrew, when you look at it and you look at how much these horses were purchased by these yearlings and you see 7,000, 34,000, 40,000, 50,000 for Wolverine as well as you know the 240,000s for Grayson Gray and, and those sorts of horses, how proud does that make you that you've got a horse for everyone at different price points that can turn back up into this fabulous race? Yeah, really proud. I mean, it's fantastic. I mean, there's something there for everyone and, and it goes to show you don't have to go to the sales and you know, spend a fortune to to uh, have the winner or, or a runner. I mean, fifty grand for the hot favourite, and but the you know, thousand dollars for for a horse bought online. And so we've got two horses in the race, guys, that were, and as you probably know, were bought online. Now that's never happened before. Uh, so last year we opened up, had a couple of sales, a South Island sale, and a, and a special online sale. Um, so seven thousand six hundred for Time Ruler, and you know, thousand for Timer. So. Um, yeah, no, it's fantastic, and um, the average for the whole 15 or 14 runners is about 99,000, so um, no, you don't have to spend a fortune to get a runner. And the upside of that, Andrew, of course, is that, uh, you know, the way horses are getting syndicated these days, it, it doesn't cost you a lot um, to, to be involved very quickly and, and, and get excited very quickly. 
That's right, Smithy. I mean, that's the way that the whole game is is moving, isn't it? Is to, to syndication. And if even you look at the uh, the Magic Million results last week, the syndicators were just huge, spending spending a lot of money and and um, just cutting them up, cutting them up into you know ten, twenty, thirty, forty, sometimes more shares. And um, and and that's what um, you know a lot of these runners are syndicate horses, as you know. And and um, you know for people listening out there that that haven't got involved in, in racing before and they think it's a rich man's sport, well, far from it. It's, it's certainly not. It's, uh, mm. You can spend as little as much as you want to. It's a great thing about racing, and, and particularly when you can yeah. run for a million, a small piece of it. Absolutely. Know? We play us, uh, an ad on this show, and Brendan McCullum says, uh, beats the hell out of scoring a Test 100, uh, winning a winning race or so. I think that pretty well sums it up from our point of view. Andrew, a big weekend <laughs> for you. Uh, yeah. I hope it all goes well. Uh, and then, of course, the sales following that will be in touch before then, and hopefully we can uh, bring a broadcast team out to those sales and do some stuff live from there. So look forward to that opportunity. In the meantime, hope it goes well for you this weekend. Yeah, thanks, Smithy. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, Andrew Seabrook there. Right, uh, fellas, uh, I think we'll take a short break, and uh, one of the most important aspects of it, of course, is the punt coming up. What has been the reaction at the TAB? Uh, let's uh, see if we can get hold of the boys down there in Petone and give us the latest information. It's coming up. It's uh, three minutes to midday, which gives us a chance to pop down to the TAB and talk to uh, Stephen Hunt, who I'm sure was uh, sitting on the edge of a seat awaiting that barrier draw. Stephen, good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. What's been the reaction in terms of the markets, if any? Yeah, good morning, Smithy and Jen. So, look, Dynastic's been the big talking point, drawn a decent gate, Opie Bossin engaged, as we heard, during the week, and now sits at the top of the market when it comes to the two-year-old Karaka Million. $3.80 we posted, well, literally 15, 20 minutes ago. It's already been firmed into $3.50, and it's on the back of some, what we'd call smart money around Dynastic to get its price into three fifty. So he looks set to start the fave when it comes to one of the two features on Saturday evening. A Wolverine, who's drawn barrier 13, $3.40, all in betting, out to $4.50 when it comes to final field. Fellini, Grayson Gray, a couple of stable mates there in that third line at five fifty. Pacific Dragon, also a sticky gate, seven out to nine in terms of all in betting v final field and time flies look needs to get a scratching to make the field but as it stands right now that's where our biggest liability is when it comes to all in betting time flies currently twelve dollars Stephen, with the money already coming for dynastic uh, do we expect wolverine's price to potentially drift i know that sounds ridiculous because she's unbeaten He's got a, well, she's got a strong SP, Mick, as you well know, that tends to hold the price firm uh, on particular race day. Uh, look, I wouldn't necessarily say that Wolverine's price may drift on the warm support of Dynastic. It might be that middle market, uh, the likes of Sacred Satana, Alhambra Gold, Mascarinto, etc. So you may see some really nice prices if you want to speak outside the top five or six in terms of drifters. But Wolverine, um, look, he's a, she's a winning result in all-in betting. And she may be one horse that, even from a wide gate barrier 13, she may be hard to lay, potentially running for the tab on Saturday. Stephen Hunt, thank you very much. I know you've got uh, plenty to do this afternoon, racing, of course, as well in New Zealand and Australia. So uh, thanks for your time this morning. Uh, just gives us uh, a bit of an opportunity, Louis, for you to, to round us off going into the Staffy. 
Smithy, I'll throw it back to you, mate, but for me, when I was trying to work this race out yesterday before the draw, I just kept coming back to Wolverine seems to be the most professional two-year-old, what we've got. Exposed form, I thought she was going to be the one to beat. She just looks like she's full of talent, and maybe we've got her at Pete Royden's got her peaking at the right time. 13 changes it. I'm not surprised Dynastic's going to start favourite. I want to back them both. I'm going to fence it. I don't know. Good luck to you. Thanks very much, fellas. It's been fun. Uh, and uh, racing, of course, very much a part of the station and uh, great to support the industry on one of their big weeks and their big uh, evenings.